The year is 1970. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, a comic book reading club covering all the best Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and along with Dave, an energy vampire who transforms into a giant pterodactyl, we're going to be covering all the Marvel comics from 1970, uh, well, the first half today, and uh, pretty exciting to be in a new decade. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot's being revealed about myself as this podcast goes, and frankly, it's hard to keep up with. Um, but I, I, I think as the My Marvelous Year audience has been so great, uh, I have no no issue with you all knowing about my my secrets. That said, uh, yeah, we're in 1970s, and we finished a decade. We're moving on to a new one. We are you know, still in the Silver Age. We'll talk a little bit about the progression towards the Bronze Age, but it's very close. Like, it's not a 60s to 70s cutoff. And for those of you no. who are unfamiliar, I think we've talked about this a little bit, Comics are broken into different ages, if you will, um, and the Silver Age is basically the start of or the relaunch of the rise of superheroes, um, very much coinciding with the Marvel launch of Fantastic Four. I think technically we could even throw it back a little earlier to DC, bringing back some of their heroes after the 50s scare of you know comics being evil and damaging to children, corrupting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. corrupting the youth. Exactly, we're actually like. We're on the back end of the Silver Age now, and we'll be progressing to the Bronze Age. And we can talk a little bit about when we get there, about what that means. Um, I would call 70, like, honestly, to me, it's like the last true year of Marvel's Silver Age, even though 71 kind of Mm. fits the bill stylistically and content-wise. But the main reason I say that is this is the last year Jack Kirby's going to be a Marvel. Yeah, I was saying, I was just thinking, like, it's, it's not a hard line in the sand, right? Oh, here's the last issue of the Silver Age, and here's the first of the Bronze Age. It's going to, you know, some issues are going to feel more in this newer age of comics and some. And we, we can talk about this more, like, what is that delineation? What What is the the style changes that mark that delineation? But it does feel like a lot of these comics have moved into a new era of story writing and art. And some of them haven't. Some of them still feel very much like what we've been reading for the last eight years and yeah we can talk about that and jack kirby still being around he's still yeah we'll talk about this when we get to thor but he feels a little old-fashioned compared to what we're reading this year you know i'm like i find that thread very interesting so let's save it for when we talk about his work on thor and fantastic four because that's something that um they talk about in the the introductions to his new gods book which is the series he would leave marvel for to go do at dc in like 71 and the idea of, okay, it's this big get. DC got Kirby. He's a, he's the biggest name in comics kind of thing outside, you know, this side of Stan Lee. Um, but then kind of also the sense of like, well, there's kind of a new generation of readers now and Kirby feels kind of old fashioned. Um, so I'm kind of curious to talk about that as we, you know, because this, okay, so 70s, we're going to jump into our first section here. We're going to be looking at some art from Neil Adams. We've looked at art from Jim Steranko here in the past few years. 
Um, it, we've got you know new kind of new names in the in the ring. Like even Don Heck and Gene Colan look like they are stepping up and adapting somewhat. They don't look quite the. I like the way you <clears> said Colan, <throat> like a fancy, like fancy, fancy fashion line. Or something. I never, I always have a hard time with his name, Gene Colan. The Colan Men's Edition. I think I'm just resistant to say Colan. Available exclusively in France. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's very interesting year. Yeah, let's get into it. I think my my general take on the comics of this year um is they're quite good. I I think late 60s we were kind of feeling some some like regression here and there. Mm, I think mm-hmm. maybe from 68 on with or at least stagnation. Stagnation is a good word for it. I mean, there was a lot of notable yeah. exceptions of really good stuff. Um mm, yeah. I think honestly this list I was like I was back to having a lot of fun with some of these and was actually genuinely surprised by some, even though I've read them before. So yeah, I think the, the floor is that much higher for everything this year. Cause I didn't, I don't dislike any of these comics. <laughs> that might be a first for this club. That wow. Every one of these, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like I've been a little down. Put your drinks lately. down everybody. No, no shots. Yeah, every yeah. time Zach doesn't like an issue. I mean, that, like not every <laughs> one of these is great, but like, I didn't, I, I don't know. I, I didn't hate reading any of these. I didn't feel like, Please, like, when will this end? Like, I have with a lot of uh, Avengers. Even Roy Thomas, who wrote a bunch of these, and I have not liked Roy Thomas's writing, did uh, did an okay job this year. Roy will be pleased to hear that. So let's get into the yeah, first I'm gonna, one. Uh, email him. I'm going to email Roy Thomas. Is he alive? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to just email Roy Thomas. Okay job, Roy. Okay job, 1970. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> yeah. um, so the first issue we read here is Iron Man 21. This is a two-part story, Iron Man 21 and 22. And mm-hmm. we haven't done a ton of the Archie Goodwin writing, George Tuscan art era of Iron Man. Uh, these two issues are some of my favorites from this era. So if you like yeah. these, I would say consider checking out some more because Archie Goodwin is a name. Um, he does a lot of really great comics work. I, I think of their. I jumped into um, Iron Man number one here, and I've read up to like six or seven, and I'm planning on keep reading it because it's pretty good yeah like this when he starts his solo series it's a good place to jump in and uh yeah archie goodwin jumps on and i think he does like i don't know 40 or 50 issues he's on iron man for a while and then he's with marvel comics forever he does yeah yeah i don't know i think he, he's around till the 80s i think with marvel yeah he's got a long a long comics career i actually think of him doing some work with walt simonson um, on DC, they did a, mm. a Manhunter series, which ran as backups, I think, in like Batman. But it's really cool. It's a really cool series. It, it's not great. Like none of this is astounding work, but it's solid. If you like Iron Man, this is like the best Iron Man has gotten. I think we we can talk about this more as this goes on. I think Iron Man just has a villain problem. Like none of his villains are like his villains are so much cooler than him, and their their medals are so much stronger. How is he going to beat them? <laughs> well, yeah, they're either just, they're stronger robots, they're strong, or they're strong men, or they're strong monsters. And that's it. It's just other big things that punch hard. He doesn't have any recognize. like, I read the first five issues. None of the villains there were that interesting. Actually, one of them, can I just say, we, I'm going to put this in extra issues, but uh, I think Iron Man number five is really good because he gets kidnapped by people from the future who are living under the tyranny of a robot he created, which is like real foreshadowing for Tony Stark stuff of he created some AI that then became Skynet basically. Yeah. And that, that was the first like, Oh, this is kind of getting into Tony Stark's whole steez a little bit of uh, irresponsible tech making. 
So, yeah, Iron Man's interesting. He just needs more nuanced villains. Yeah, so Iron Man 21-22 is not going to course correct that problem, but it is going to add some interesting dynamics. Uh, yeah. We have here, the issue opens with Eddie March. He's an African-American boxer, <coughs> and he is, basically, he's a huge Iron Man fan, um, to the point that he goes by Iron Man in the ring, is like, mm-hmm. maybe his self-prescribed nickname. Um, there, yeah, the, yeah. the comic's actually kind of, it's kind of confusing, but kind of clever in that when Eddie's in the ring, like the visuals alternate between showing Eddie and Iron Man boxing, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, if you're not like paying attention and reading, just seems like, wait, why is, why is Iron Man boxing this unarmored man? Like this seems, <laughs> seems cruel. I haven't read Iron Man for a while. He's turned to blood sport. Yeah. Um, but Eddie really looks up to Iron Man and basically he has a big comeback, a big Rocky style comeback in this boxing fight. And he learns afterwards that he's got a blood clot in his brain. <laughs> from from a doctor, like, looking at his skull in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, right. So he's got yeah. the, you know, the boxing injury of, you know, you can't fight anymore. Or this is going to be going to be the death of you, basically. Um, he also kind of co- conveniently, Tony happens to be at this fight. And uh, because Happy Hogan knows Eddie from his days... As a boxer, mm-hmm. uh, Happy introduces the two, and Eddie's very excited to meet somebody who knows Iron Man. Because, of course, as we remember, Iron Man is Tony's bodyguard. At least that's how everyone everyone thinks of it at this point. Oh, uh, a note, though. Happy Hogan, at, in so, at some point, has become aware of Tony Stark being Iron Man. So Happy Hogan is in on, the, in on it now, which I like because it gives... I mean, Tony Stark's secret identity is pretty boring, but having... Somebody on the inside, like, helping him is, I don't know, just an interesting foil um, to all that. Also, Happy Hogan and Pepper Potts are married. We missed that uh, at some point. So they, they are now married. So good good for uh, good for them. And Tony, yeah, that's, that's a really important call out. And Tony has moved, uh, you know, he's moved past Pepper. She's married to Happy. And uh, he was never, I, I don't know, it's because of the MCU. I think you think, oh, Tony and Pepper, like, they're forever and they're meant to be um in these comics it's kind of always like he's interested but he also kind of wants her to move on and like to the point Mm -hmm. of like and we've joked about this in some of the earlier issues where he's like he's like trapped into going on dates with her you know through just like his own comical inability to like be like wait that's speak to to a woman yeah Yeah. wait no that's not what i meant um so it's not as like I don't think Tony's like super broken up about this. Um, you know, Mm-mm. he'll have a lot. He, of he's got this women. other woman, Janice Cord, who is a another industrialist that he's been dating. Totally his type. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so Tony, after the boxing match, he returns to Stark Industries and he finds the Crimson Dynamo, uh, roughing things up. AKA now this is not Ivan Vanko, the original Crimson Dynamo, and we will get really that whole sorted saga in these two issues um, because mm-hmm. the new Dynamo, his name's Alex Niven. And, um, is that right? Or it's something else. I'm not sure what, but Alex Nevsky and he, well, that is revealed later, I think. Right. Oh yes. You're right. You're right. He's, he's going under an American pseudonym. Yeah. Cause he's got, okay. So let's talk about that. He's got an American alias. He's working for Stark Industries, but secretly he's, uh, from mother Russia and he is set out to prove that the Crimson Dynamo is a better hero than Iron Man. So it's actually kind of an interesting motivation here because he doesn't just want to destroy Iron Man. He wants to destroy Iron Man and Tony Stark, but prove the Dynamo can be a better hero um, because mm-hmm. of some legacy you know, connections that he had to the original Ivan Vanko. 
Yeah, yeah, that the uh, the original Ivan Venko, he thinks that Tony Stark, or not Tony Stark, he thinks that Iron Man convinced him to, I, I can't remember what it was, like, basically sent him into exile and humiliated him in the eyes of the Russian government who, I think, executed him. So the, Something the Russian story, the Russian version of this story that played out in Tales of Suspense, which I actually think is kind of interesting, um, is that Tony falsely recorded a message that uh, suggested the Russian operators or handlers of the Crimson Dynamo were planning to take him out. So Tony's gambit to defeat the Dynamo in one of these issues was to show him like, hey, look, you're, you know, do you think you can trust these people? They're planning to kill you anyway. And Mm, the mm -hmm, Russian mm -hmm. version of the story is that Tony made up that message. Or I should say Iron Man because I don't know they're one and the same. Yeah. So Iron Man made up this message, and because of that, the Dynamo stays in America, he defects, he becomes a traitor, and this ultimately leads to his death, Ivan Vanko, when the Russians, they basically come to get him. And they also are basically coming to get anyone in Russia who was friendly or friends with Ivan Vanko, and this is Nevsky's connection to the character. Um, so Gotcha. Yeah, so all of that back, all of that Crimson Dynamo background plays into this issue, um, mm. which is interesting. I think, you know, coming into this saying, I'm not as into robots and armored guys. This is a big robots and armored guys <laughs> story because we at, get the at dynamo. Least this feels like the armored villain that he fights. Hopefully. I mean, like the, the other guy in armor. I don't know if that becomes a thing. There's one other one I can think of, um, but that's not so much later. He'll become a thing. So yeah, these are the ones I think of. Yeah. Sarah. It makes sense that he's got at least one arch enemy who is in armor. It's just it's just when that turns into every enemy is a, a big suit of armor or robot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see. This this guy, Alex Nevin, or Nevsky, is also interested in Janus Cord, and they have something of a relationship going. So Tony's Tony's battle with the Dynamo here, as Dynamo breaks mm-hmm. into his factory, it basically leads him straight to retirement. <laughs> he mm-hmm. he kind of has a tough time with the Dynamo. Um, he instantly gets into those Iron Man no more feelings. And mm-hmm. he decides uh, it's time to to be Tony Stark. It's time to pass he, on the Iron Man armor to someone else. And he decides that Eddie March should be the man who will wear the Iron Man armor. Part of his motivation is that he has had surgery to remove the shrapnel from his heart. But at the same time, uh, to fix his heart, he has surgically embedded like synthetic heart tissue. And he's kind of worried that that like... He's not worried. So now he doesn't have to worry about his battery staying charged, which is not a plot device anymore. But he does have to worry about if the st- he strains his heart too much by getting punched a lot, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, his synthetic heart tissue will, will fail him, which I thought was kind of interesting to take this plot device that's been with him since the beginning of, you know, he needs to stay charged or his heart is going to get shredded and replace it with another very similar heart related plot plot device. Right. It kind of shows... It kind of shows progress or attempts at progress without actually changing yeah. the game. Um, well, I mean, they, they probably realized, like, how many times can we just show his battery getting low and him going like, oh, got to get to an outlet before <laughs> we get tired of seeing that play out. Right. right? So, I mean, like, at, at least that recognition, like, OK, we've done that and we've done it a lot. Let's try something new. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Eddie is super psyched at the prospect of being Iron Man's bodyguard or excuse me, Tony Stark's bodyguard in the Iron Man armor. It's like his dream come true. So yeah. Eddie March becomes the new Iron Man. And I think this goes extremely uh, underreported and overlooked. 
um, that there is an African-American Iron Man here in 1970. And he Mm -hmm. goes out and is kind of like doing bodyguard stuff and also kind of investigating some crimes as the as the Golden Avenger. So Eddie is the new Iron Man. For for like twelve pages, yeah. He, okay, it doesn't last. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it it does feel like. I mean, I think sometimes I do underestimate how big of a deal it is that they are weaving so many uh, black characters into main roles here. Um, at least black men, to be fair, like yeah. they're not black women are not part of this right now. Um, but because I was just reading that we were talking about Black Panther's mask. Uh, I don't know if it was last year, or the year before. It was in '68. I believe. Yeah, we'll cover this in a variant cover already, probably. But um, someone was telling me in the Slack that the reason why they they had his mask do a full covering, the the initial design was the open mouth look that I was complaining about, where you can kind of see half his face. And they, init- they, they initially covered it up because uh, they were concerned that distributors wouldn't distribute a magazine with a black superhero on the cover, which is like... A, a stark reminder of the times that these comics were being published in and how like tense some of that stuff was so um yeah so i mean i guess it is kind of a big deal a somewhat principled stance for them to just be so like casually inserting so many black main characters in here which is great yeah no i think it's to be should do more of it commended yeah. even though it doesn't last super long um yeah i think basically this issue ends with uh eddie and the crimson dynamo both learn of a crime boat in the area, you know, those classic mm, just on the yeah. docks, but full of crime um, that yep. are so prevalent <laughs> in comics. And uh, Eddie and the Dynamo basically wind up fighting because the Dynamo is there to prove he's a better hero. So in order to do that, he has to be like, get out of here, Iron Man, and kind of slap fight him. And uh, and then, you know, stop the boat himself. And all of this spirals into Tony at the very end of this, the first issue, learning that learning of Eddie's brain injury. And being like, oh, no, if he fights the Dynamo, he could die because he's got a serious brain injury, um, which mm. transitions into Iron Man number 22, where things get even wilder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it gets complicated. Before we get into that, there's some letters at the end of 21. Uh, one of them complained. The Iron Man letters have been really good um, in what I'm reading. But uh, one of them complaining that his mask is expressive which we've talked about, like, just let it go. It's a better style choice. Let it be fun and, and good to look at. Yeah, yeah so, someone really being like, how could you possibly explain that metal would shift in the midst of battle? That kind of tone. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple letters talking about how in Iron Man number 18, Marvel announced that they're discontinuing continuous stories. Uh, and people saying like, how would you ever do the Galactus Saga in one issue? How would you do Doctor Doom versus Silver Surfer in one issue? So I guess they just made the announcement that they're going to stop doing multi-part stories, which I don't think that's true. I mean, at least they backpedaled on that hard, right? But I thought that was interesting. I went back to 18 and I couldn't find a note of that. I think it was just not in Marvel Unlimited. That's really interesting because that definitely does not play out through this year. Most of what we're going to talk about here could be considered a continuous story. I think like it was supposed to be, it was supposed to take effect soon. Not maybe right away, but uh, yeah, it was funny because it was like a bunch of letters saying like, this is such a boneheaded idea and them being like, oh, well, maybe, maybe they we'll- threw it out there just to get the letters and then to say to the person who was complaining about continuous stories, hey, you bonehead, everybody wants them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't follow through on that. Um, Iron Man 22, we uh, Nevsky, Crimson Dynamo is fighting 
Eddie Marsh, and Eddie Marsh's brain is hemorrhaging. <laughs> he, I mean, I like that he's just going like, oh, my head is pounding, which is just like, I have a blood clot. Yeah. Which just means you're, <laughs> you're having a stroke, Eddie. Um, but, uh, he fights through the stroke, I guess. You know, that uh-huh. way that you can just kind of fight through a stroke. Some people are fighters. <laughs> Some people <laughs> just succumb. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, Iron Man, Tony Stark, rushes in to kind of finish the fight for him, and Crimson Dynamo gets away, I think. Eddie Marsh gets rushed to the hospital, where the doctors don't know if he's going to live or die, but they rush him into surgery. Tony Stark is feeling full of guilt over this, and vows to never give up his Iron Man persona again, never put this danger on somebody else. Meanwhile, an, an enormous green suit of armor burst out of the ocean... <laughs> And this is titanium man. Can out you of give a, a little out of background? The, so there was a crate that everybody was trying to get to on this boat. The crate fell into the mm-hmm. ocean. Right, right, right. What what should come out of this crate but the living, breathing titanium man? What? Mm-hmm. Um, can I give yeah, background on the titanium man? Uh, here's I the mean, thing. is there a man in there? Is he a robot? They keep talking about him like he's more than or less than human. I mean, I think of the Titanium Man as piloted by a human, same as yeah. same as the Iron Man armor, or same as the Crimson Dynamo. Um, okay. He's bigger than both mm-hmm. of them. He's green, and he's very strong. And last we saw of him, it looked like Tony had killed him, I think, or he had died right. in battle. Yeah. Um, I don't know offhand the Titanium Man's alter ego, honestly. Uh, and honestly, it doesn't even come up in this issue, so I didn't even care to look. He's just like he's just a bigger, stronger threat. He could be a robot for all it's worth, and it would make no difference. Okay, yeah, he he he's here from Russia to reclaim Crimson Dynamo for Mother Russia, uh, and basically take the armor back because Alex Nevsky, Nevsky is using it for kind of his own personal vendetta at this point. Um, this all cum- culminates in Alex Nevin Nevsky Crimson Dynamo gets walked in on by Janice Cord, who discovers that he's Crimson Dynamo, mm-hmm. and he kind of panics and puts his armor on and grabs her and flies off. And Iron Man goes to visit Janice Cord and sees that she's kidnapped, and <laughs> she sees the... Tony Stark sees the Crimson Dynamo flying away with Janice Cord, and then just rams him out of the sky. <laughs> There's a fan... <laughs> Which immediately means that uh, she goes flying. Yeah. Like, it's 100% Iron Man's fault that uh, she gets dropped and he has to swoop down and save her. And then he even, like, turns it on the Crimson Dynamo. Like, you would drop her to distract me? And it's like, you just rammed him out of the sky. It's definitely one of those, like, if you get this from the villain's perspective, the hero looks like an insane person who is damaging civilians. Yeah. Yeah. So this turns into a big three-way fight between Iron Man, Crimson Dynamo, and the Titanium Man. And in the midst of all this, uh, a titanium man who's got these, like, I don't know, electrical bolt powers, he can zap people with electricity, zaps all three of them, which kills Janice Cord. And is this our first official dead girlfriend <laughs> in the Marvel comics? I don't think we've had another one that we've covered. Um, at, at least not, like, to this degree, because she's been built up for close to 20 issues. Yeah, right. No, it's definitely killing the girlfriend quite suddenly to strike at Tony's heart. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually thought this issue was going to end with Eddie dying in the hospital Mm -hmm. and Tony feeling the guilt of that. And they kind of, 
they kind of subvert those expectations by he's actually making a recovery and then yeah. Janice dies unexpectedly, mm-hmm. like very mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Um, even in the context of the action, it doesn't like she's not even notably really a part of it, you know? Like it happens very fast. It's almost yeah. a throwaway. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't have like a personal attachment from reading these to Janice Court as a character. No, but she's the not death fleshed out much. Very su- it doesn't have a big impact, I didn't think. Um, other no. than surprise, it wasn't who I expected. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's our first case of th- this is more about Tony Stark and his emotions about it than Janice Cord, the character. It's like our first view into, you know, using using the death of a love interest just as a plot point, I think uh, is fair to say. So I think Janice kind of gives Tony, he kind of gives him some Spider-Man guilt that maybe yeah. they, the more I read Iron Man, the more I see them trying to Spider-Man him, like mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. same sorts of motivations. And I already made the joke about Iron Man no more, but like that is that is what they're doing um, when yeah. he decides to give up the armor. And yeah, here it's kind of like we know Peter's got the fuel of those that he's lost in the guilt. And they're kind of trying to put a similar thing on Tony, but he's also, I think when we think of Tony Stark as a character, like he's not, he's structured and wired so differently than Peter mm-hmm. Parker that he, not that he doesn't feel guilt or heroic motivation, um, but he feels it very differently. So trying to do the exact same plots with him sort of should play out quite differently. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, we're also bringing, you know, what we, when, when somebody finds that core of Tony Stark's character later on, we're kind of bringing that back to this because at this point they're still kind of fumbling around a decade in trying to figure out what makes Tony Stark unique and interesting. Right. And they still haven't found it yet. They're still just kind of, he's kind of still a pretty generic superhero well, at this point. I think it's kind of funny because they, the first thing they do is they lean into like, he's a playboy and he's rich mm-hmm. and he's also yeah. going to be the hero, which is very sort of subverting like, you know, it could be you expectations of well i mean bruce, bruce wayne did that though yes totally the more we read these the more i am like man marvel was ripping off dc left and right like there are so <laughs> there are so many examples of uh of characters that i feel like are such ripoffs of uh of dc characters uh, it goes both ways i definitely as as things progress i mean we talked like you could make a you could make a very strong case the X Men or Doom Patrol ripoffs. You can make a very strong case Iron Man is a Batman ripoff to some degrees. But Captain Marvel is Captain Marvel ripoff. Captain Marvel is a total Captain Marvel ripoff. Um, do they have a Superman ripoff at this point? I don't think they really Hyperion. do. Hyperion. That was well. That's, I mean, Hyperion's not a, yeah, he's that's not a big name character. Um, yeah, because yeah. I wouldn't say like that, Thor is, and he's probably the closest, honestly, in power set. So I don't know. Probably the most different characters would be like Hawkeye and Green Arrow. I think like one of them has a goatee mm-hmm. and the other one typically doesn't. So I think they're the yeah. most different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So th- these were good. These are good Iron Man comics. I liked these. And uh, if you, if you like these, check out the whole series. Cause it's all written by Archie Goodwin. And from what I've heard, he just kind of keeps getting better and better. Um, and the art at the beginning, I really like the, um, oh, what's his name? George Tusk. There's an artist who's, no, there's an artist who starts out for like the first 10 issues or so of this Iron Man series who I really like his artwork. He draws like kind of a really cartoony way. It kind of looks like Archie Comics or uh, Hanna-Barbera. Like it's a little bit more like Dan actual cartoons. Nope. <laughs> Yogi Bear. I think the name would pop. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, yeah. So check these out if you like these. These are, these are pretty good. 
Uh, that moves us into some Uncanny X-Men. 64 and 65. Yeah, so I actually added 64 for this wave of My Marvelous Year. We did not read this one uh, in the first incarnation of the club. There's going to be a lot of that throughout the 70s, actually. I think if you are if you are jumping in for the 70s ride, um, the My Marvelous Year reading club lists of, of comics that I suggest are going to be augmented quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, some of this mm-hmm. is just by stuff that I've learned in the last three years about issues that maybe I want to check out. Uh, or probably most likely that stuff that wasn't available in Marvel Unlimited at the time I was putting I the mean, list they're, together. They're adding a ton. I think just this week they added like 15 issues of Marvel Team Up from either the 70s or the 80s, which like all kinds of really cool stuff. Yeah. They're still, they're still adding in. And there's still big chunks missing. I was just looking like Daredevil just has 100 issues missing right from the middle of its run, mm-hmm. I think, in the, the 70s. So there's still a bunch of stuff that's missing that I'm sure, you know, would would be good to fill in. Yeah, no, it's not completely complete, but uh, neither is their digital scanning <laughs> in yeah, their library. It's a lot of comics. So, uh, but no, it's definitely making good progress. Yeah. So, uh, as as we as we as we update this list equally, as we are both involved in the marvelous year, as everyone knows, this was a collaborative effort, and I put just as much work into yep. it. I love when people write to me like, "Hey, Zach and Dave, why did you choose this issue?" And I get to go like, "Answer yourself, wow. Zach." It was a it was a tough choice, but. Uh, now, I, I always, I, it's usually uh, people asking, like, why didn't you put this in? And I get to say, like, oh, I had nothing to do with it. You know, I do. <laughs> I get that a lot with this. And it's like, the whole point, the whole point is it's a curated, slightly faster list. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to do everything, I would just read everything. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. there are fair call-outs of, of like, genuine misses like we actually just talked about one from 68 that i can't believe isn't on the list because i distinctly remember adding it um and and you lucked out that like it gets reprinted in 72 (laughs) so we get to we get to slot it back in yeah it gets reprinted as an annual it's a spider-man issue um so we are going to cover it but like there's stuff like that that i'll go back and i'll look and it's super worth it so like yeah Mm -hmm. and actually like uncanny x-men 64 was a recommendation from a reader brandon who was part of the club initially who had really good recs but if you're just like hey spider-man's good like we should do like i know (laughs) like we talk about that all the time you know what i mean i Um, I, there there is part of like i some of them are more important than others but some of them are just great and it's like there is a degree of yeah if it's great like you can just read it. We we just can't read everything. That that's kind of the point. It's like this is supposed to be a survey course, but if you like something, like dive deep on it. This is supposed to get you through and like, you know, read you. But you know, we don't want to sound like. Def- I appreciate. I mean, that's kind of what extra issues is for. Yeah, right. That 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 is part of the reason for that because like there is good stuff. There's been good stuff, and Dave insists on packing this list full of Stiltman, um, which is we have to make room for the important stuff, and I I think. If you have, like, I definitely want to hear about people who are like, hey, I'm reading, like you just said, like, I'm reading every Iron Man, and they're really good. I want to hear those opinions, because that's interesting to me about series that maybe I think are a little less essential to the ride. Um, But, you know, I do think it's just constantly important to call out, like, My Marvelous Year is, it's a list of the 10 best stories, (laughs) and really fuzzing that 10, (laughs) you know, to make it, to make it fit. Because, like, especially as we go here, like, once we get... Because Marvel's going to start publishing a lot more comics, and they're going to start publishing events, mm-hmm. and things blow up in a way where that ten becomes like you know like a silly guideline, but it's it's intentional. You know what I mean? Like it's intentional mm-hmm. to keep it 
limited because otherwise it would just be a read everything club and we'd be doing this for 75 years. Um, you know, it's just, it's a time thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But th- th- I mean, that's not to say like, stop complaining babies. Like I, we like the feedback and we, we, we hang like- on, let's cut out the, that's not to say <laughs> and just leave. And just- Quit your whining, you crumb bums. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like to hear, you know, what people are reading and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, there there is a recognition. There should be a recognition that, like, can't put everything good in here. And, uh, I mean, no, that's kind of what the Slack is for. Like, oh, oh, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> so Dave has put everything good in here, <laughs> and your taste is less than. But, I mean, that, that is part of what the Slack is for also, is to go in and say, like, Hey, this is uh this is actually very good. Some like some people love the uh, the Doctor Strange and they're reading every issue and they're just like, why isn't this in here? Like it's so good. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it part of it is like uh, you could probably skip the Doctor Strange through the '60s and jump in in whenever and feel like you understand Doctor Strange for the modern age, mm-hmm. right? Whereas if you skipped all Silver Age Fantastic Four, you'd be a little more lost. Anyway, enough enough justifying ourselves. Start with, uh, let's get into Uncanny X-Men. Okay. So this is Roy Thomas, Don Heck, Tom Palmer, and Artie Smack. It's the coming of Sunfire. And basically, where this issue begins, Sunfire lashes out at a Japanese diplomat visiting the U.S. He comes in hot, literally and figuratively. Can you describe his his costume to me? Sunfire? Yeah. Uh, It is very red and yellow and white. And it is, I don't know, I think it's meant to convey a fiery fate for those who wish to to encounter him. Uh, why? What are, what are your issues with the costume? This is sometimes how I want to uh, to get into complaining about something. I ask you what you think first, so I can bounce off of it. I think I actually like his costume here. You don't? Really? I, no, I, I mean, it, it's um, it's reminiscent of the, uh, like, the Japanese flag, the, um, what's the, 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 the name for that, um... I think I think we call it the Japanese flag. No, but the one with the like the red stripes on it, right? Because the rising the one sun. With the... Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, it's definitely reminiscent of the Japanese flag, which kind of ties. I... Okay, I guess it's good design, like because it's his character built into the design, which is somewhat interesting because he is kind of a Japanese imperialist, right? He's he's a very strong like has a very strong Japanese identity. Yes, and uh, and that is built into his costume. I just think like. If he walked in the room, you'd kind of like, you wouldn't want to look at it. Like, it just hurts your eyes. Like, it, it's unpleasant to look at because uh, it's just so much like contrasting red and white. Yeah, maybe. I, I really like the helmet. I, the helmet's like this big, he's kind of got like um, a fire beetle. Kind a of fire, I was going to say the beetle. I was going to say the beetle. Yeah, it's kind of like a bug almost mask where his mm, eyes yeah. are sort of blacked out. Um, but he's got all these yellow flames across like the top of his head and his eyes. I, I actually... I like that. I wish maybe the white stripes across the middle of his. Well, first he's he's got the white stripes blasting everywhere he goes, which is both <laughs> anachronistic and just kind of annoying. You know, like I've liked their music as well, but come on, I was in high school too, man. And the white stripes on his jacket aren't yeah as good. If those were yellow, maybe I'm more into it. Actually, oh god, you're that's I, awful. here's the thing. That would be terrible. Big yellow guy. Big yellow guy. If you can throw yellow on anything, I'm probably in. Uh, th- this actually, I wanted to bring up just costumes in general, because everyone's had something of a costume change lately. Uh-huh. Um, so Scott Summers is kind of in the classic costume he's going to be wearing forever, which is just a big blue jumpsuit. Yeah. 
with the uh the and he's got his classic like yellow visor that i think this is like the scott summers look for a really long time like this is the basically the 90s look i think minus the belt do you like uh hair covered cyclops or hair out 90s cyclops <sighs> um i don't know i think i don't i don't think i have a preference like i think this looks fine his looks okay and gene gray has that cool um like green mask thing going that I don't think she wears very often, but is kind of like the classic Jean Grey look that I do like. I like that costume. Marvel Girl. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's a real like wrestling look going on to everything in Marvel Comics right now. Like there's a lot of wrestling inspiration happening. So the Beast and Angel, I both really don't like their costumes. They both are wearing like, it just looks like wrestling leotards. The Beast is just boring and doesn't like, I don't know, doesn't really suggest anything about him. And the angel is wearing this blue and white leotard with a with a halo embedded or imprinted on the very front, which is like yeah. a little on the nose. Angel, it's not terrible. It just doesn't do that much for me. They're they're a little samey, like they're hard. I actually to- like I like the idea of Angel just really leaning into this like Kanye West style. I am a god. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like thinking, I was thinking Care Bears. Care Bears. You just, okay. Uh, you put your you put your power on your stomach. Here's the thing. You want Care Bears, I want Kanye. If we can bring those two things together, I think we've got an idea. Kanye Bears. Kanye yeah. Bears. I'm very into that oh, idea. Oh, the cover of his uh, graduation, early registration. Oh my goodness. We're already, we're already there. Let's go deep. Uh, but there's, a, there's somebody else too. Oh yeah, because we're going to talk about Doctor Strange's costume. And that's the most like, yeah, hey, let's turn him into a wrestler. Look that I I hate. I love it. His, I love it so it. much. You you love it oh, really? I'm so I, into it. Well, it's just it's also like his costume. His look was so good and so iconic. And but was he blue? A little bit enough. <laughs> <laughs> he was blue enough. He was blue All right, so enough. What's fair. what's X Men sixty four about? Okay, so uh, the general the general vibe here is Sunfire is he's on a mission of retaliation for really uh, American crimes against japan particularly the dropping of, of of an atomic bomb on hiroshima um his mother was i think we get the story that she was pregnant and when mm-hmm. the bomb dropped and she was killed not in the blast but like via the effects of radiation which actually mm-hmm. i think is a for the time like we've seen the thing put an atomic bomb on his back not even 10 years ago and walk into the belly yeah. of a beast talking about the yeah. effects of radiation on the Japanese people uh, is actually kind of nuanced <laughs> for what we've yeah, gotten from sure. atomic warfare. And I think kind of in that sense, Sunfire's revenge quest is it feels kind of valid in this uncomfortable way of, um, of like, yeah, America did something that is horrific. And and how do we, as, a, you know, you and myself, obviously not everybody's a citizen, but like as an American citizen, that makes me uncomfortable to think about. And I think tackling it in this issue. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's grappling with some actual, I mean, it, yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, it, it, you know, there's more going on to just like, I mean, Japan, Japan hit us first, Dave, and we were justified. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get into whether or not the dropping. You know, I had to do that justified. in high school. That was one of the papers I had. It's yeah, like kind yeah, of an ethics too. history yeah. thing. It was like, should we have done this? And yeah. I distinctly remember thinking basically what you just said, which was like, yes, we should have, we had to, because that's kind of the way the history books present it to you. In American history? Yeah, I went to a very conservative Christian high school, and it was like, that was the answer the teacher was looking for. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, it feels like it feels like any other answer is is not patriotic, I guess. Or at least it did at the time. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, and especially like 1970. Like, this is 
pretty close. I mean, sitting away in like 2005, you know, it feels that feels almost like ancient history to teenagers then. But 1970, yeah. like, you know, you're uh, like one generation above you was the one that was actually fighting in this war. Yeah. And I think we see we're seeing more of that progression from Stan and Jack were in, and they are of yeah. the generation, even though when they start, they're 50 years after the war has ended. And now mm-hmm. we're even a decade later. And now we're talking about Roy Thomas writing this issue. And mm-hmm. now we're kind of in that wave of you're a bit younger and you, I, I don't know that Roy wasn't in the war, but I'm kind of assuming. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Like you're getting slightly different perspectives where the idea of atomic weaponry and the damaging effects is a little more prevalent maybe in the culture and in protests mm-hmm. going on at the time. Um, we're actually going to see a lot of like protest-based uh, action <laughs> or protest-based story. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's all over the place right now. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man and Cap- there's a Captain America issue where he's on campus and there's a big campus protest happening. Mm-hmm. So all of which is to say, I think it's I think it's actually a pretty smart way to develop Sunfire as a villain, quote unquote, with motivations. But he's also conflicted here because he is he's being sort of manipulated into this anger and rage. He's, he's got like two. He's, he's got the angel and the devil on his shoulder. So this is, well, I don't know if he said his name, Shiro Yoshida. Yes, thank you. And his uh, his father is Saburo, who is like a Japanese diplomat. And his uncle, Uncle Tomo, is the like devil on his shoulder, you know, preaching, you know, anti-American sentiment, this kind of Japanese imperialist stuff, while his father is more about making peace and coming to like an understanding. So he, he's got these two sides, this conflict. And so I don't, I don't hate this issue, but I don't really like it either. And I don't like the writing. And I don't actually really even like Sunfire very much. Like, I don't think he's that interesting. But I will give this issue a ton of credit for this is one of the most, like, nuanced villain motivations that they've done so far. Because we were just talking about this in Slack of, like, man, I'm really going to be excited when villains have a better motivation than, like, I'm evil. And that's it. And this is, like, definitely one of the more interesting ones. I just don't, I don't think the execution is, like, tops. It's not, it's not bad. Yeah, no. It's not a knockout. I think it's I think it's relevant because Sunfire, like he's going to be a player when the X Men get really good, and I think that for for like fifteen minutes, it's so funny. He's going to be a Uh, big player. His inclusion uh, in the the like the revamping of the X Men is so funny to me. Yeah, like. But yeah, it's it's amazing. We'll we'll get into it. No, but I, I think it kind of helps. Uh, I think it actually kind of helps color that a little bit hmm. when you get there. Yeah, I I didn't know he had been introduced before, mm-hmm. so I thought I didn't know this was his first introduction. Yeah, and I I think to your point, like the X Men, I, I got I got nothing for X Men notes on this issue. It's all about Sunfire because they're just kind of yeah. around. Yeah, they yeah. fight him and try to stop him, yada yada. Um, but really, the battle here is Sunfire uh, against his kind of Scar Mufasa devil angel on his shoulder thing and his his uncle is trying to get him to what's he what does he want to do destroy the washington monument or something he, he wants to just yeah yeah it's like yeah destroy relations between america and japan so his dad it, rushes it out with, on the balcony yep. and he's he's like son i know you're you know i know you're going through a lot this violence isn't the answer and sunfire's conflicted um he's kind of like you know he's listening to his dad for for once because we've seen him re- like right before this kind of push him aside and then his uncle tomo runs out and shoots his dad and yep. and this you know sunfire kind of loses it he lashes out his uncle tomo kills uncle tomo and we end this we end the issue with sunfire loses his dad and his uncle as a result yeah, of this impending violence and the message is clear is like violence begets violence and mm-hmm. it's you know it's a pretty uh it's a pretty tragic end for Sunfire and the X-Men are basically just like hey, he's been through enough <laughs> yeah the, it is kind of funny the X-Men are like oh what should we do and they're like uh I think he's fine 
he'll, be, he'll, he'll figure it out. And they, they just walk away from him. Yeah. He's like holding his, his father's body and they just leave him to, yeah. to figure it out. I did brush but, over yeah. one thing in all of the discussion there, which is Sunfire is in fact a mutant. <laughs> and <laughs> and God, he developed his mutant powers. It's actually a really cool scene. I don't know if you thought this too. Um, He goes to visit the ruins of Hiroshima and yeah. his uncle's like, I know if he encounters these ruins, like the radiation will activate his mutant gene. And it actually does. And it's kind of a cool, um, it's like a very ham-fisted, I guess, but it's, I actually appreciate it. It's pretty. Yeah. And he, cool. he channels the power of the sun. You know, he's, he's basically a, a fire mutant. Yeah. He's a, he's a firebender. Yeah. yeah. He can fly, he can shoot fire. Um, and it's not the last we're going to see of the Yoshida clan. Yeah. Now uh, that brings us into uncanny X-Men number 65. This is unrelated, but your cat stood up and walked away and I did not know it was behind you and it almost scared the pants off me. I almost had to stop. <laughs> did you like, did, I heard you go. <laughs> like make a noise like were you about to warn me like look out there's something behind you <laughs> yeah yeah i've got she i don't think can you see her yeah yeah i can see her yeah, yeah she's normally not around when i'm recording no i appreciate the i appreciate an audience uncanny x-men number 65 before i'd be slave which is like did you miss the word a in there before i'd be a slave it's a pretty awkward phrasing there's a lot of titles like um, that i as someone who had to fit headlines in a newspaper once I understand the motivation to just cut out words that maybe make sense. <laughs> well, no, they, they're they drawing. They could just draw the words slightly smaller and put... They, they just need an A Yeah, but there. it's like you already drew it. Now you got to do it again. I get it. So the uh, the cover has the X-Men fighting like the dopiest alien monster. They, and they don't look as bad in the actual comic. I think like they the look cool in the in, comic. Yeah, I think they look fine in the comic. But the, the one on the cover is like a real dope. Um, but we are getting... I didn't mention this in the last issue. We're getting... Um, Starenko designed the new font for the X-Men oh, logo on the yeah. front of the covers. And it's awesome. And it's like the X-Men logo that anyone would recognize. The big, like, block letters from, you know, tilted in an isometric angle from, you know, like, up until the 90s. That is so the if, best. If you think of X-Men. That is the best X-Men logo. I don't think oh, yeah. it's really a concept. Super good. Um, and really good call out there that it's by Starenko. Because that's like all those little things like who designs the logo? This stuff I had like never thought about until, you know, like you hear it and then you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it's only because I went on a deep dive to find out what Starenko did because he did so little for Marvel Comics, but I think he left yeah. such a big imprint. Um, This is written by... Dennis O'Neill, who is like been doing some work in the back for Marvel. He's been doing a bunch of modeling with Millie issues throughout the 60s, but he's going to be, I, this is the one and only issue of X-Men that he writes. Mm -hmm. uh, but then he's going to come on to write, like, he's going to do a 50 issue run of Iron Man in the 80s, mm -hmm. which is crazy. And then he's going to do huge runs of, uh, not quite as big, but big runs of Daredevil and Spider-Man in the 80s, and then lots of other little things here and there. So, like, this guy's going to be a, a big player. Yeah, Denny's Marvel career is interesting. Um, he's, he's also D the Denny? He goes by Denny O'Neill. And okay. he's, yeah, a, yeah. he's the huge Batman guy who works with Neil Adams. So, like, and Neil's right. the artist yeah. on this. They're going to go on to do some really fascinating and, like, essential work for Batman in the 70s. And Denny actually is the editor on daredevil when uh he i think i think i read recently he like because he just he either just passed or maybe it was like his 80th is about to pass eight no 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 it's like his 80th birthday maybe there was some celebratory like why danny's great and i think he was the editor who actually brought in frank miller on daredevil and like collaborated with him so i think he gets a lot of credit there in the marvel side as well he is yep he just turned 85 days ago okay cool doing well <laughs> important call out doing great <laughs> yeah yeah i just checked in on him he's doing great okay so the x-men are, are 
The X-Men are coming back from fighting Sunfire, and they were in another fight, I think, with Magneto and the issues before or something. They're exhausted, but they get back to their mansion, and Havoc and Polaris, uh, aka Alex Summers, which I don't think we've talked to... Yeah, yeah, we talked Alex Summers. It's Scott Summers' brother, who controls, like, Cosmic Rays. And we talked about him in the it last. It has a pretty, pretty cool headgear. Um, and are, uh, you, are you genuinely into this headgear, or are you being sarcastic? It No, I like it. It's like, it's one of these things where they commit to it enough, and like, it, it's a pretty clean design, even if it's kind of silly that I'm it's like it. three disc it's like if somebody cut out two-thirds of a hat and you just yep, had three yep. bands left you know just the middle yeah. and the sides um so it's like a reverse hat i it's very silly but it is unique it almost looked like he's wearing cerebro right yeah 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 and then lorna what's her last name lorna dane lorna Dane. i keep wanting to say lorna dune isn't that like a cookie that is definitely a cookie or a candy of some kind, yes. Yeah, yeah, something like that. She's um, a treat. Oh, my God. Cut Lorna that, Dane. Cut that quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quick, cut his mic. Uh, Lorna, Lorna Dane is a um, Polaris who controls magnetic powers, even though, like, they also kind of futz with that and give her weird powers. I don't know. Magnets can do anything. There's a lot of, um, like, is she the daughter of Magneto stuff kind of forever with Lorna. Hmm. Okay. We haven't gotten to that yet. Big player um, on Fox's The Gifted. Okay. Oh, I don't know what that is. The TV show? The X-Men TV show? Oh, that they're yeah. Doing? Okay. That's like super weird, but Lorna's ge- like, she's genuinely one of the mutants that they're really leaning into. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So Havoc and Polaris are waiting outside the mansion and they are like, X-Men inside. We've got an emergency. And the X-Men are like, hey, we're tired. We don't, we, let us take a shower. And they're like, no time <laughs> for that. Go to bed, like, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It's really funny because uh, Havoc and Polaris are like, no, this is an emergency. We wouldn't tell you if it wasn't important. And the X-Men are just like, hey, who put you in charge? I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. And they're like, please, this is this is an emergency. <laughs> and they're like, hey, well, you're not the boss of me. Like, it's very strange that they're all like, Scott's just like, Alex, you best step down, brother. This is this isn't the time. We've been through a lot. You don't understand. Well, I do. Like, it is sort of like, um, it's like if you're in your office and somebody who's not actually your boss starts bossing you around or something yeah yeah there's, it's got that and, vibe and it kind of gets into they're all teenagers and they don't want to be yeah yeah it, it, it's it's pretty fun but it's not like totally unbelievable no so eventually havoc and polaris convince them that it's important enough that they need to suit up and meet in the conference room and uh there's a really cool small scene here it's just a couple panels of each of the x-men changing into their costumes and we see everything <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, we get to see them changing into their costumes, and uh, I gotta say, Bobby's completely naked ice body was a spectacle. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I just picked the youngest X Men, and now I feel very uncomfortable. About that. <laughs> <No>. Yep, <laughs> we get like a nice character moment for each of them, which is fun. Scott Summers is thinking to himself, like, "Oh, Alex Summers has become, or Alex Summers, Alex, my brother's becoming quite the leader." And um, Jean Grey is thinking about how. Alex Havoc and Polaris look like they maybe they're becoming a couple and Bobby um, Bobby Drake is going to be upset because he has feelings for Polaris that we haven't really seen yet and then my favorite is it cuts to Angel everyone else is just kind of thinking like shop talk stuff like I'm tired or what's going on with the situation Angel just goes every time I put on these duds I gotta wonder if I'll be buried in them (laughs) (laughs) very morbid whoa very morbid for Angel yeah yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I forgot to bring this up. In the last issue, there's a really funny moment where, like, I don't remember the circumstances, but Angel was flying up to a jet plane, uh, to some airliner and trying to, and he was, he came really close to getting sucked into the jet turbine. And Bobby Drake was watching and just said, I'm down here. Holy crow. Warren got too near to the jet's intake. 
Now he's really in for it. <laughs> Just the most understated thing to say, like, my friend is about to be pulverized by yeah. spinning blades. Like, he's really in for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you think you think uh, the reaction of an X-Man would be to, like, <laughs> try and help or something. Yeah. Um, so uh, they all meet in the conference room, and Havoc and Polaris lay out that this kind of odd tale of an alien civilization called the Xenox that are... <clears throat> they've evolved to be like perfect war machines um something went wrong or right in their evolution to make them like ultimate killing conquesting aliens and the interesting thing about them is that they they move their planet from solar system to solar system taking over and the big problem is they they just like zap their planet in outside of jupiter or something and they're moving closer to earth and if they get too close to earth it will throw off the gravitational fields and cause all kinds of problems etc actually thought there's a really mention, fun sci-fi concept of like yeah, the traveling yeah, yeah, planet sure. that is just going to it's going to just smush two planets together too close um mm-hmm, which yeah. i think as aliens go they're just aliens like you know like with dime a dozen but like this thing where they throw their planet at you is kind of yeah yeah it's it's a little like it's a little rushed but it is a fun it's a little fun concept um someone questions like how do you two know this or they also okay havoc and polaris yeah gene's like, like havoc how do you know this yeah and he says well we had the like the master planner helping us and then the door opens and professor x wheels through and they're like oh, professor you're alive and like i'm like professor you were dead <laughs> <laughs> we did skip yeah. over that but here's the wild thing it happened 23 issues ago yeah it's like two years again faked his death yeah this is the second time in 64 issues that he has faked his death like i would just be it it's happening with such frequency it's just like it's so funny that he uh, and that's really that's his whole motivation is uh professor x is like well i just had to plan in secret it's like well no one was really watching like you could have just gone in your office and locked the door like i think it's telling that the the x-men are surprised but they also aren't like they aren't like in tears or like hugging him you know gray starts crying because she has known all along apparently and she's like relieved that she doesn't have to keep the secret she's just not i I like that moment has had a lot of stress from the secret yeah (laughs) i think yeah Yeah. no it's um professor x is a weird dude i think is an important thing to clarify (laughs) yes yeah Uh, oh there's also a really good moment where uh havoc is explaining all of this and scott summers gets in his face and is like you better be telling the truth brother God, sorry. Uh, I love that he's turned just, into Hulk Hogan. I love it. I know. I, Scott sees no, Havoc, I was just about he just to say, I accidentally, every time I say the word brother, I accidentally slip into like, better be telling you the better truth, be telling brother. the truth, brother. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say it like that. Or maybe he no, does. No, he does. I don't know. Every time Havoc's yeah, okay. in the room, it's wild. It, this is just like a tick of mine. I can't say the word brother. Gene's like, but... Scott, where did you get that yellow headband? What are you doing? <laughs> but he says, uh, you better be telling the truth, brother. And uh, Alex Summers says, unclench brother <laughs> get off the ropes brother uh, no 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 he says unclench scotty save it for the enemy which i think is a very unclench funny Scotty's thing to a, t- a theme of cyclops a funny thing to tell someone who's like who's getting worked up hey unclench okay <laughs> next time you get to well yeah next time i get riled up about stiltman you can just tell me to unclench unclench zach get on um, get on your stilts and relax so so they they apparently there's a the aliens have like a forward scout ship in at the South Pole, um, which just reading about the South Pole, I was last night when I was reading this, I was like, ah, I want to learn more about the South Pole. And then I got distracted from reading comics for reading about the South and the North Pole for like 20 minutes <laughs> uh, on Wikipedia. Yeah. Did you know the North Pole's like in the middle of the ocean? <clears throat> uh, sure. You say so. Yeah. I mean, it's just like middle of the, the Arctic the, Ocean. 
Antarctic Ocean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said yes to both. It's true. Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, anyway, so the, the, the thrust of this is that they they have to go find this, um, this alien scout ship. They go there, they fight some aliens that are not that interesting. The alien planet is showing up. It's, uh, it's coming close to Earth's gravitational field and it's starting to cause some problems. And they come up with the most wild idea to combat this alien planet. And it's because it's like, oh, we're six X-Men. How are we going to turn back an entire planet? Right. You know, they don't know how you're going to do that. Professor X reaches out to all the minds on Earth, like human and mutant, uh, excluding, <laughs> I love they, they have to bring up like, well, I exclude like career criminals, uh, drug dealers and murderers i also exclude people who are busy right now like bus drivers and surgeons (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyone who can't be bothered Mm -hmm. but basically everyone else he unifies everybody's mind and like willpower determination and courage he reaches out and pulls on the power of the entire human population to unify it together into one big force and then channels it through here what is it uh i've got it written down second channels it through Jean gray who receives his thoughts who directs them at alec who boosts them with his cosmic rays and transmits Transmits them to the skull of his brother Cyclops, where they are translated into laser-like optoblasts and aimed at the menacing sky. And then Iceman is just there, like keeping Scott Summers cool. <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> yeah. And the, my, my first reaction is like, oh man, this is this is dumb, right? Like, this is the most ridiculous thing. And then they commit so hard to it that it is kind of cool. Like I turned around on this really hard and I really like this by the end of it. Yeah. Cause they did some really interesting style stuff with this. Like they kept the same panel of, they had right in the center of each page, they would have the, the lineup of all these X-Men basically like funneling this energy into Scott Summers, who's blasting it up into the sky at this other planet. And then they would show all these other pictures of people all over the world, like di- different citizens of the world unifying their wills to, I don't know, combat this alien planet full of like menacing evil aliens who, I don't know, who, who like are repelled by goodness. That's the idea. Sure. I guess. Yeah. No, I think everything looks pretty good because it's Neil Adam. Um, I, I do yeah, th- enjoy this the is style. 100%. It's sold on the art. Yeah. And it clearly stands out compared to did, most of Did this work reading. for you? Did this like moment work for you? Did you... Uh... I, Think I often, I always have a hard time with the big everyone joins together moment. It's definitely, there's a lot of instances of it that we can see across comics. Um, sometimes literally it's like everyone holds hands and it's the power of yeah, everyone's you, will. You hate communism, so. What's that? You hate communism. It's it's definitely based on those deep hatreds that um, that I've worn over time. But no, I it works fine. It never really has the same. I'm trying to think of a version. I guess the version of it I like the most is in the 90s JLA Grant Morrison uh, Justice League run or JLA run um, where everyone becomes like a Superman. It's kind of like it's kind of that big like everyone hold hands and we'll fend them off together moment. Um, There are ways to build to it. I think it's really hard to build to in a single issue, but it works okay. I mean, for for what? Yeah, I I, I can totally understand you like or anyone just rolling their eyes at this and just being like, okay, well, that's that doesn't mean anything. But for, for whatever reason, I, I turned around hard on this. And yeah. I, I actually thought this was pretty good. And I think it was just because, like, the art did some interesting stuff. And they really committed to it. It wasn't just kind of this throwaway. It wasn't one panel. It yeah. was like this This whole sequence occurred over a three or four pages. It takes work, which I do appreciate. Like, they all yeah. they all have to contribute. Yep. Yep. So they just with the, uh, I don't know, power of how good humans are, the aliens are repelled and retreat back to their own solar system. Yeah. And Professor X collapses to the floor, dead again. So uh, I guess this really is the end of professor <laughs> okay okay i tell you you know what's too bad is like x-men is getting pretty good like 
this is all really interesting and it's about to get canceled. It's, I mean, it's not canceled. It's just going to go into reprints, but I think we have like, there's only a few more issues. Yeah. I think there's only a couple more issues before they stop making new X-Men. Yeah. I think it's just wild. It's if like, I'm not, as it's becoming one of the most interesting comics. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, uh, we're not going to read any X-Men again until 1975. Yeah. On yeah. The, because there's the nothing M-M-Y new. Club. Like every, they're literally just reprints of the old Silver Age stuff. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is interesting because they do, I, I don't know, over the last couple of years, we've read a little bit more and yeah, they do have these kind of like, kind of weird, like they're kind of, they actually almost are more in that Doom Patrol vein of like, we're dealing with these really strange threats that are outside even the Avengers purview, you know? I mean, it's all on the back of Neil Adams, who's doing just like really interesting yeah. artwork that is elevating these. Yeah, yeah, elevating these. For sure. Um, okay, cool. So the next issue we read, uh, now, Zach, I don't know if you saw this, but I did sneak an issue into just our list. I don't think I even put this. Maybe I did. Maybe I put you it did this specifically. List. I mean, I'm gonna have to because I can't. I can't bear this burden alone. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking. But I added Daredevil number 67 to the list, and the reason I added Daredevil seven is you guys aren't gonna believe this, but it's the return of Karen Page and the return of Stiltman. <laughs> you piece of. Shit. Like that's right. <laughs> it's, Daredevil's it was, got more Stiltman. I read this last night at like 11:30 and. I almost, I like, I opened up Google Hangouts to like start yelling at you. And then I was like, <sighs> I, I restrained myself because I figured you were asleep. I was too busy dreaming I, I, of stilts. My God. You know what? If I'm being, I, I was furious, but it's not a bad issue. It's here's not a, a bad issue. Here's what I'll say about this issue. It's a weird time. Like we, <laughs> Daredevil Silver Age is maybe the strangest ride of any Marvel character. Oh, it- it's very weird. It has nothing to do with, like, the Daredevil character I consider Daredevil. Yeah. It's so far removed from that. But, like, it's okay. Like, it's, this issue is fine. I don't think it's good. I just think it's a strange ride that he goes on. So, in this, in Daredevil's so world K- right now. Karen Page knows who Daredevil is, right? She's she's aware of his identity. and Maybe? <laughs> I mean. Mostly? It, maybe. It's not super clear, but, like, I think so because okay so matt murdoch is in los angeles where karen page is starting to work as an actress yeah and the movie producer on the set of the movie she's working on is like oh we'll give you a job if you can get daredevil to the set yeah and it's like why did you ask her i don't know it doesn't and then matt murdoch is visiting and she asks him if he can get daredevil there so that kind of like implied that she knows he's daredevil and then they talk to each other like in costume so i don't it never became super clear but i think she knows i was kind of i read it and here's the thing i barely read the dialogue i was just flipping ahead to still man panels drawn by gene colan but um i think there was maybe a tony stark bodyguard thing going on with with daredevil and matt murdoch where it's like they knew each other um you could be right somebody will tell us in club whether or not because yeah. i'm not reading yeah. daredevil i just think it's wild that like karen's out acting matt joins to be in a classic hero in the hollywood set type movie there's also this mm-hmm. character called the stump master <laughs> who's like like used to a be a criminal man. and he's a stump man now in this movie and basically all i, this- I think i think that's very funny of just like He's just a stunt man, but he gets called the stunt master. He can do cool stunts. I'm like, yeah, you, I like. You should just give yourself titles depending on your job title. You're yeah. the uh, the um, SEO master. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, right. Um, so all that builds to uh, a fight with Stiltman, and uh, I think. A couple important things to call out here. One, Stiltman, Master of Disguise, uh, Wilbur Day here. He's first off Master of Stealth, sneaks up and surprises the Stuntmaster, takes him out with his scary stilts, and then does a perfect makeup job to look exactly like the Stuntmaster for almost no reason. 
because yep. he joins he the movie set, fakes everyone out, and then just very quickly progresses to fight everyone as Stilton. So okay, I don't okay. know what so, being something has accomplished. I, it is very funny that the first time we see Stiltman, he's just like lurking in the, the closet in the Stuntmaster's trailer. Yeah. Uh, which is like, it, it's just funny seeing some somewhere where he has no stilts. Like he's just sneaking around a trailer, karate chopping people from behind. Yeah. Right. Like, not what I think of Stiltman. Yeah. And then he, yeah, he dresses up as Stiltman and then he's on the set and he's supposed to like jump his motorcycle over Daredevil. And then he just flies at Daredevil, misses, flies into the ocean <laughs> and then burst out of the ocean on his stilts. Yeah. Like he changes underwater back into his stilts. So that's the other important thing. Stiltman can walk in the ocean because his stilts go so high. And of course his equipment is unimpeded by, by water. Um, I got to tell you, I have no recollection of how this issue ended. I was, I might have just like passed out in a haze of joy. (laughs) Just the euphoria of stilts. Um, I think he, uh, Matt Murdock knocked him over. Yeah. um, As, as you are, uh, as it's very easy to do. He's very top-heavy. Yeah, extremely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was it. He just knocked him over, and uh, that's the end of Stiltman. Yeah, cool. Um, so- and then, the, I mean, the actual takeaway that I know, actually, that plays into, like, 90s Daredevil, this is going to go for a while, is that the, the big... Um, conflict is whether or not karen page is going to stay in los angeles to become an actress and matt Mur- murdoch pouts and kind of just like you have to decide movies or me and then stomps off yeah um so but that's a real thing that like karen page's arc is going to well karen page is like really screwed up really awful arc <laughs> is going to uh, start here with her becoming an actress in L.A. Yeah, no, it is her motivation. Um, okay, yeah, so the issue that we actually intended to read was Submariner 22. Um, this one is, I I thought, surprisingly cool. Uh, it's a yeah, Submariner it's and Doctor Strange semi-team-up of sorts. Um, it's all about, so the issue begins, Namor... Can you just talk about Doctor Strange's costume? Let's just oh, yeah, get that yeah. out of the way, and no, then so we can right talk on the cover. I love this cover. It's got Doctor Strange rising up out of a grave, um lording over Namor and it's got uh, Marie Severin and Frank Giacoy's name on a tombstone as the artists who did this and Marie Severin's mm-hmm. art throughout this is really awesome I love this yeah love yeah look of this she's, book. she's great yeah um, but yeah, no, so it's Doctor Strange lording over Namor, but not the Doctor Strange that we are as familiar with. He has- Luchador, in- Doctor Strange. Luchador, Doctor Strange. He's got like all blue on and he's like, his entire body is coated in blue. He's got, I think even blue trunks, um, but he's still wearing the Doctor Strange cape. And I, this and he's look got a, is I think very a yellow scarf tied around his, his waist. Like he really, really looks like a wrestler. Yeah, like, um, it's it's interesting. I think I kind of like I kind of prefer all blue Doc. Like he's kind of ghostly. Uh, it's a little more like an apparition than just like you know the the noted professional surgeon of Stephen Strange. Uh, I I kind of like it as a curiosity, but yeah, it's a total wrestling. How, how long costume. does it last? Uh, long enough. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> just long enough. Perfect. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it does feel like they're just, ah, oh, well, he doesn't look like a superhero. We got to turn him into a superhero. That kind of like, that, that thing where, you know, they, they just feel like they need to give costumes to everybody. Yeah. And this is what a superhero costume looks like. Yeah, I, I don't like it at all. I've, I've got nothing really nice to say about it. <laughs> just because I, it's, it, it feels like such a downgrade, but it is kind of funny, I guess. You're right. Curiosity. Yeah. Um, so this issue is by Roy Thomas, Marie Severin, Johnny Craig Inks, and Art Smack on Letters. Um, it begins, Namor has lost his fish powers, he can't breathe underwater, and uh, Atlantean scientists are trying to cure him. They've got him they, in all they show some horrifying chambers. backstory of he was abducted by aliens who closed his gills up, which is like, that's a, 
That was, that's some real horrifying body terror. Just like someone knocked him unconscious and then just like sewed his gills closed or something. Yeah, no, that's kind of gross. Um, as yeah. he's as he being operated on by the Atlantean scientists, Doctor Strange shows up in his thoughts and his dreams, and he mm-hmm. uh, convinces Namor that there's a mission that only the Prince of Atlantis can take, and Namor totally buys this. He is pretty quickly cured. He swims to Boston and he goes to a mansion in Boston that he is like. He's being led to. He doesn't really know why. He's just like, I well, think actually, this is the right way. I think I need to be first, here. First, well, he gets to Boston, and then it just shows him jump into somebody's house. And uh, and he opens up a wardrobe and puts on a suit. And he says, oh, I'll get some clothes from this house of charity. And it's like, you just walked into somebody's house, Namor. Like, this is, this is, <laughs> this not is a, a man's wardrobe. <laughs> there's two people yours. behind him. This is not a place of charity. Stop wearing yeah. my suit. You just see off screen people are throwing, like, lamps and, uh, and chairs at him. Yeah. Trying to like stop the burglar, and he's they're just also like... screaming because he has raided the Americas and the East Coast several times to the point uh, right, they're yeah. terrified. But his human oh, so alias when he th- enters this, this... Back, this backstory that Doctor Strange gives is that there's some golden idol that will summon hmm. the nameless one. Uh, yeah, I did brush who, over all that, didn't I? Yeah, the nameless one is this like ultimate demon, basically. Uh, nothing like too interesting story wise, but really cool design. Yeah, it looks like this kind of bat bear demon creature which is not that interesting looking except for the fact that there's another one bursting out of his back Mm -hmm. so it's like two-headed but it's also two torsoed right like they're stacked it's very very cool design i like i like this a lot yeah and then they have they have an army they or he i don't know has an army of his army army of demons evil demons working for him called the uh the undying one yeah they could be they could be anyone yeah that's right so uh, Namor goes to investigate all this in the mansion. He meets a girl there who opens the door for him. He tells her his name is Mackenzie. <laughs> really appreciate it. <laughs> I didn't even get that, but you're right. That's that's a very funny pull for Namor. Yeah. Um, basically, Hello. Namor in this mansion, he encounters a demon, this guy who you know, is the owner, turns out to be a demon. He battles him. Doctor Strange shows up the second Namor finds this idol. Um, mm-hmm. Namor, like, kind of battles with demons, finds his way there, rips wait, a wait, big one, statue sorry, out of the I, ground. I got it. I got it. One more, one more detail. He's fighting one of these... Uh, nameless ones mm-hmm. who's just like a big lion creature and the lion thing like scratches his back and kind of tears the shirt off of his back mm-hmm. and uh and then he defeats this creature we see him his shirt's been pulled off but his pants are still mostly intact cut to him running into the next room to find the, this woman lying on the ground he is not wearing pants anymore and they're in his hand torn off <laughs> which i thought was so funny i'm like namor like using this as an excuse to get rid of pants like there's no use there's for pretense uh, at this point he's like i'm namor it's gags over yeah. i'm not Mackenzie. yeah it was just like he went from being a man with his short shirt torn off and wearing shoes and pants to like running in in a speedo <laughs> it's like oh you, you did that part that was not the fight namor wearing pants is is less of a name. I think we can all agree. Yeah, that's true. Doctor Strange shows up and he kind of tells Namor like, "Hey, I couldn't show up before uh, because you know they would have known they would have sensed a sorcerer." And uh, Namor's like, yeah, "Sure thing, dude. You totally manipulated me." Um, Strange and Namor are they have the idol. They seem to have won, but then they are betrayed by what other than by a cat, an evil cat. <laughs> <laughs> all cats are evil. Yeah, there's a demon cat in the room and this demon then begats more demons the whole battle then like spirals out of control into uh, a dark dimension namor's like confused but also handles it really well for being exposed he starts just punching this demon and uh i i like the moment of he's he's having a little trouble 
punching the the punching the nameless one until Doctor Strange splashes him with water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just that's a, that's kind of a fun little team up moment. Powers him up, yeah. And uh, basically, it all leads to an all out demon brawl that actually weirdly ends with Doctor Strange being like, "Get out of here, I got this," and just cast Namor out of the dimension, presumably and Namor to saying, battle those demons by himself. And Namor thinking, "Did that all happen? There's no way to know." And then walking away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really fun issue, actually. I think yeah, like it's yeah, good it horror, good. it's good team up, and the Doctor Strange and Namor relationship is one that is going <clears> to be um, pretty relevant for Marvel history. So this is like an, a nice early first taste of it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna go back and try to read some of these Submariner comics since it rebooted as its own solo series. See how that see how that goes down. Uh, moving into we've got a trio of Amazing Spider-Man issues, starting with 88 and then moving into 89 one. and 90. Amazing Spider-Man oh, 86. Oh yeah, no, you're right. 86 and then 89 through 90. Yep. So, oh, this is me. So this is this is kind of a Black Widow issue? Yeah, it's a, it's a Black um, Widow versus Spider-Man issue. The thing I like about this one is the cover says, "How can I fight a female copy of myself?" which is leaning yeah, way too hard into the spider the connection. <laughs> yeah yeah they try to they try to draw that connection through this a lot of yeah like she's zipping around on zip lines and they keep kind of underlining that like oh she's just a female spider-man but like not as powerful that's the thing and that that's kind of her whole motivation here is she she's trying to like put her past behind her as a russian op- operative as a double agent all this she wants to reinvent herself which means that she's going to change her costume. This is where she gets her new look and kind of the look she has. The, like, the look we're more familiar with. It's that sleek yeah, like black the, leather design with kind of the mm-hmm. um, the bullet long, belt style. Yeah, long red hair now instead of that like enormous beehive grandma hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the sleek and, spy widow. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it looks good. Um, she, Spider-Man is having some problems because he got like smacked around by Kingpin. Wait, is that this issue? Yeah, he's feeling weak from a kingpin battle. Yeah, okay, this is here. Yeah, and uh, there's really not that much story here. Like, he's no. having some Gwen Stacy problems because he's being secretive and she doesn't like it. Uh, and the Black Widow wants to find Spider-Man to find out what makes him the better version of a spider hero. Because, again, they're kind of leaning on this, like, spider persona. She finds him, they fight a little bit, and then he clearly outmatches her. And then she leaves saying, oh, wow, he's too strong. I guess I just need to be me do you that's like the best do you yeah yeah, that's the best it's a silly excuse to bring black widow together the important things here are we do finally get a look at the black widow design that we're all going to be familiar with and we get sierra like communicating working with nick fury a little bit in her spy role um which Mm, is kind mm -hmm. of her like meaningful role moving forward but as spider-man issues go it's a throwaway and i'm just gonna jump straight ahead to the good stuff amazing spider-man number 88 this is by stanley the manly John Romita, Jim Mooney on inks, Sam Rosen letters. And this is a three-part story. It's 88, 89, and 90. And it's an extremely important one. Um, yeah. And it's going to set the stage for a lot of Spidey developments moving forward. Uh, it begins, it's a Spider-Man versus Dr. Octopus story. And it begins with Ox in prison. And he's really working on his psychic mental summons, his mental control of mm-hmm. uh, his tentacles of his arms. And I think we've seen this before. It's pretty, but Uh, we've seen a little bit of that, but not like from across town, I think. Yeah. Like it's really getting strong. This is something that's going to be leaned into in Ox future. Uh, The idea that like, these arms aren't just something he wears. They're like, he's got this, it's almost like a symbiotic connection, um, mm-hmm. this telepathic connections to his arms. So he controls his arms. A big chunk of this 88 is just like Spidey fighting just the arms. 
<laughs> which yeah. is always kind of interesting. Like the arms are wreaking I havoc. Lo- I think people are the cops are just shooting it and just like, no, wait, it's it's metal. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. Like they don't know <laughs> right, what to do. Right. It's like, what do you do? Um, so Spidey kind of like he saves a bunch of people, but he can't really stop the arms. And then Doc eventually controls them to go uh, free him from prison, of course. So uh, Doc Ock, once he's out, he accidentally hijacks a diplomatic plane. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is pretty amazing. He does it. So it's kind of funny. He He's like, oh, there's a plane taking off and a small plane won't do for the master criminal I am. I need the biggest mm-hmm. one imaginable. And the biggest right. one that happens to be taking off is on a diplomatic mission. Um, there's General Sue, who is, I don't know if we actually get a country tied to him. It's kind of like a vague... He's an Asian general. I mean, is, did you get any yeah, more details on that? Asian country. Yeah. yeah. Because um, there's protesters outside protesting his appearance. Yeah. So it leads to a lot of protesters are, and Robbie Robertson describes it as like they're protesting both sides. Some are for the U.S. achieving peace with this general. Some are very much like he's committed war atrocities and we want nothing to do with him. I did appreciate of the, they have a lot of signs, protest signs, rhyming with Sue. And my favorite one was just Sue P.U. But if you don't see that, <laughs> if you don't see the dots, it just looks like Sue, Sue Poo. Poo. <laughs> kind of hard to see. So that was pretty entertaining. Um, so yeah, Ock hijacks their plane. There's government's officials on board. There's General Sue. There's also J. Jonah Jameson and John Jameson, his son, because they mm-hmm. were there to yep. report the story. Um, and and Ock takes them all hostage. And this leads to uh, Spider-Man crashes the protest. He sneaks onto the plane <laughs> by like yeah. webbing across the entire tarmac and nobody sees yep. him. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, yeah. And and Spidey, he spoils Ock's hijacking and and then Ock, in a fit of rage and somewhat blinded by webbing, drives the plane into a wall, explodes. Spider-Man's like, <laughs> only a professional pilot and with perfect vision at that could fly the plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it seems to be the end of Dr. Octopus, but... Doc Ock is dead. And uh, that's the end of Dr. Octopus moving into issue 89. Yep. Everything's going to be fine. This I thought this was really strange because <laughs> issue 89 immediately starts out with, surprise, Dr. Octopus is still alive. Yeah. Uh, which is like, I don't know, doing a fake out death for one issue... Not even one issue, like for for zero time between comics, I think is kind of a interesting and weird choice. Usually like they do that and then, you know, two years later they bring him back and just say, I didn't die in the plane crash. I whatever. Well they even tease it on the it, last panel. They're like, He's dead. Or is he? Like it was there was right. no yeah. I mean, obviously not. That would be such a boring death for this character. Yeah. But um I like I like that Peter Parker's walking around town thinking like, wow, I can't believe he died like that. Well, I've got no tears to shed. And then he walks by the alley where Dr. Octopus is, I don't know, hiding out. And he says, ah, they think I'm dead, just like I want it. Just the way this will make my crimes easier to commit. And then he's like, he walks out to the end of the alley into the street. And he's on the sidewalk just like yelling into the sky about how he'll be able to commit his crimes with no one knowing. Yeah. While he waves his tentacles up in the air. And like, I can just imagine like the camera pulls back to a crowd of people just running and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> they think I'm dead just like I want it. Um, the, the thrust of this issue, there's, there's a bunch of Gwen Stacy stuff happening where he is reconciling with Gwen Stacy, uh, over, I don't know, his, his kind of absence, um, from their lives and his secretiveness. But, and we haven't talked too much about their romance throughout this period is very sweet. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's it good. feels it's up and down. Yeah. It just feels very genuine. Like the the ride of it, it's not too one note. You get a lot of like you get lovey dovey, you know, like teenagers and love yeah. stuff. But then they also yeah. have these problems. It just it all feels very authentic, which I think is part of the reason why Gwen Stacy is a name we all know so well today. But um, it's I don't know. It's just like it feels true. It feels like if it's I'm developed. being if I'm being a little critical, I'd say all the problems they have 
are just Spider-Man problem, right? Yeah. So, like, every problem they have is a Peter Parker problem, which is just Gwen Stacy reacting to Peter Parker as the main character of this comic. Like, uh-huh. she still is a little underdeveloped in that, like, she doesn't have any problems of her own that are not Peter Parker related, right? Like, so her character doesn't have a lot going on that's not having to do with him and his problems, or at least their relationship doesn't have problems, you know? And that's I think an interesting that point, be, like, is, like, we don't... At this point in time, I think this will develop. You don't get like the four pages of Gwen doing something, you know, within the issue. Like she is a, yeah, she's definitely a supporting character who is only there when the hero's on screen, which I think is just, Mm -hmm. is how all these comics function at this time. I think like, yeah, it'll be interesting to note as we go through, maybe even in the Bronze Age, like how that develops, like when supporting characters start getting a little more development of screen time, uh, like alone. Yeah. And, and, or, or even just when they get development outside of their relationship to the main character, right? Like, because she gets... She gets some scenes where Spider-Man's not on the scene, but they're generally about how she's missing Spider-Man or Peter Parker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And meanwhile, her father, Captain Stacy, is also kind of a big booster for Peter Parker and is kind of helping her with her relationship. And yeah, is, is just a generally positive force for for the, their relationship and for her. Yeah. Um, there's a big Dr. Octopus fight. Dr. Octopus lures out Peter Parker by dismantling a power station. Which I think is fun. He's like up on a smokestack, just like tearing it apart brick by brick. Yeah. And uh, it is a pretty good fight. Like, there's not much notable about this, except there's there's one really good moment where um, they're up on some building and there's a chimney that Spider-Man runs and hides behind. Dr. Octopus is on the other side. He reaches his tentacles around the chimney to grab Spider-Man. Spider-Man webs them together and then leaps off the building like pulling the tentacles down with him, which pulls Dr. Octopus into the chimney and slams him into it. Yeah. Which is, like, pretty fun. They're getting, like, pretty fun and creative with his little little plans and, uh, yeah, cre- creative ways to, to fill these panels instead of just, like, lots of punches and kicks. For sure. And uh, this issue ends with Spider-Man getting killed by Dr. Octopus. Um, and that's... He gets thrown off a building, yeah. I think. And uh, that's the end of Spider-Man and the end of the series and uh, 89 issues. What a way to go. Yeah, no, there's been a lot of endings. In this, in this it's like my favorite ongoing now. dumb joke is just pretending that this is real every time it happens. And I'm going to keep it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you, yeah. you've committed. Um, so yeah, that builds to Amazing Spider-Man number 90. You got Stan Lee, Gil Kane, John Romita on inks, actually, which is kind of interesting, and Sam Rosen on letters. And it, the issue begins with Spidey falling off a cliff of, or falling off the building. But um, no, it's a cliff. <laughs> They're on the mountains now. Cliff. Yeah, right. They just totally changed scenery. Uh, no, he's falling off this building. He wakes up and, of course, escapes. It's kind of a cool opening panel of like ox tentacles are on the hunt for Spidey. And it's kind of got horror movie vibes, like Spidey's mm, hiding yeah. in ventilation. And he's like completely still. Maybe they won't find me. You know, it's kind of this interesting. Because like, he's out of web fluid. Yeah. yeah. Which is another fun thing of like spider-man needs to leave and hide because he's he's out of web fluid which is something i feel like we wouldn't see other heroes do like yeah oh, i i have to go i can't fight him right now like i'm not up to the task it's like a tactical retreat as opposed to yeah you know, he's, yeah. he's not well i feel like a lot of other heroes would just like captain america i just have a harder time seeing that happening with him right like i feel like he would just keep punching no matter how you know beaten he was so yeah yeah at least at this point like yeah somebody yeah leaving because they're beat is uh is kind of interesting yeah so as spidey retreats he goes home to figure things out uh we get some hints and actually, like on his way home, he runs into Captain Stacy, who uh, gives some very strong hints here that he might know there's more to this Peter Parker than meets mm-hmm. the eye. Um, he actually collapses and falls into Stacy's arms here. Like he passes out because the battle with Oct took a lot more out of him. Like he was kind of running on fumes and then all of a sudden is like, right. wait, I just got beat yeah. up real bad. Um, Stacy, Captain Stacy hints as he, re- as Peter recovers, you know, in front of him and Gwen that um, like, oh, I bet he'll recover pretty quickly. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. 
You know, he's <laughs> well, like, you know he's what? Very... We we skipped it, but between eighty six and eighty nine, issue eighty seven had Peter Parker feverishly burst into a room holding a Spider Man mask and saying, "I'm sorry, everyone, I'm Spider Man," and then wandering <laughs> away. <laughs> And then, uh, and then covered it up later by like saying like, oh, I had the flu. I didn't know what I was saying. And, uh, and having someone else dress up as Spider-Man to like cover for him. Yeah. And it's like, they kind of make it that all of his friends buy it, except for Captain Stacy, who's like, hmm, interesting. It's like but, this yeah, they, man just admitted to being Spider-Man. I think that's interesting. And I love, I actually, that it's a good issue. You should, people should go check that one out and every Spider-Man issue. But, um, they actually do a callback to, there was a moment where Dr. Octopus unmasked Spider-Man. Did we read that one for here or did I do that for extra issues? I don't remember now. Can't but remember. I, but I Dr. Octopus talking about, unmasked yeah. Spider-Man in front of everybody and they played it up as like, oh, it was just Puny Parker. And they actually do a callback for that. He Didn't he do this once before? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so oh, Captain no, Stacy, We did read like, that one because is, it's the one where he's sick. It's like, so yeah, he's so yep, weak yep. that nobody would believe it could actually be him. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's so a, it's a good way to get around like his CDC. Uh, that happens. Yeah. That happens a lot. That just happened with like Iron Man two or something. I think there was a similar thing where yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, go on. Yeah, it's a whole secret identity trope. Uh, at home, Pete sciences up some webbing that will jam Ox tentacle control. Um, basically, it's going to jam the signal so Ox can't communicate with them and they can't this communicate is good with each other. He doesn't say what it is. We don't know what it is until he starts using it and Dr. Octopus's tentacles start going haywire yeah. and not listening to his commands and then also starting to attack him, which is like fun and terrifying, right? These tentacles turn on you and start like tying him up. Yeah. So the whole thing leads to this giant battle. Now the tentacles are out of control and they're just smashing up this rooftop that Spidey and Ock are fighting on. And basically what happens is there's a whole crowd gathered kind of watching this from below on the street and Captain Stacy recognizes like these civilians don't realize all this rubble is going to come crashing down. And it does. All this rubble comes falling down, huge chunks of building, and there's a little boy standing underneath. Captain Stacy dives to save him he pushes this boy out of the way he's got it says something to like god let me not be too late and he gets the boy out of the way but all the rubble crushed captain stacy so spider-man yeah. you know kind of he sees this can't do anything about it he doesn't web the rubble or anything like he does nothing to prevent this the rubble is truly out of control and he sees stacy's been crushed he goes down and grabs him out of the rubble brings him up to a rooftop because he's still got a heart he's like frantically trying to get captain stacy to a hospital as the onlookers kind of declare something like spider-man killed that guy so he starts getting blamed for this even as he's trying to rush captain stacy to a hospital it's a really good scene i just want to hear you say rubble again rubble you uh you just yeah use the word rubble i like the uh phrase the rubble truly is out of control (laughs) 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 that was one of my favorite sentences you've ever said um yeah it it's pretty effective and kind of compared to janice cord where if you've been reading spider-man all along like captain stacy is a pretty well-developed character and he's had a interesting arc i mean most of his story is again defined by his relationship to spider-man but like this is uh he's an interesting character he still has ties to the wider world of gwen stacy and it kind of i mean this is clearly like meant to be a wedge between spider-man and gwen stacy we'll see how that plays out but you know like if gwen stacy starts blaming and hating spider-man for the death of her father um yeah yeah i thought this was this was good this is a good three issue yeah and as just to finish it as captain stacy lies dying he does call uh, Spider-Man, he says, you know, Peter, take care of Gwen. And obviously, Peter in this moment recognizes. I don't, I don't even think he says his name, but he says, like. No, he does. He says Pete. Cause he does he? Peter thinks. He called me Pete. Yeah. I think he just says, like, she loves you. You need to take care of her. Something like that. Like, inferring. Maybe. Yeah. Doesn't Yo. matter. But yeah, he, he lets on that he knows. Tell Zach or Dave who's right. Does 1970s poll is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, um, yeah, yeah, great yeah, issues. No, Peter, it adds it adds to his is a big piece. Is now he's got another debt on his conscious conscience, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a sad ending. And like you said, I like Captain Stacy. He's a nice, yeah, developed yeah he's character. been a good character. And this one hits. He's been a good booster for Spider Man all along, and like was one of the one of the people who's very fair minded about him. Okay, so uh, so Dave and I actually just took a little break uh, between recording. We're recording a couple days later, and we do this occasionally. I usually don't like to uh, point it out, and I just kind of seamlessly add the two. But in the interim, I've learned a couple things <laughs> that we oh, yeah. talked about previously in the episode that I wanted to, to point out because I thought they were interesting. I've been reading the um, the Submariner solo comic that started up in 68, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and there are a few things... There are a few Zach details just pulled that. out it, a scroll. It looks like it's from the deep <laughs> trenches of Atlantis. A yep. <laughs> There's a few details I thought were funny. We were like cracking up that uh, Namor introduces himself as Mackenzie. I yes. thought that was very funny, just because yes. it's like very much a, a 2005 teenage girl name. Like, hello, I'm uh, Madison, the Submariner. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm reading Submariner number one, and it retells his backstory where his father. His I, that was my guess. Name, it was his dad's name. Okay. Thomas Mackenzie. Thomas Mc. Oh, his last name. Okay. Yep. Yep, yep. Um, the other thing that happened is we were joking about how uh, radiation isn't really a concern in early Marvel comics. There's nuclear bombs going off, like, in the atmosphere all the time. Which right. Is, they're like, oh, we can't have this go off in the city. Let's have it go off above the city, which is actually worse. Uh, and you, you brought up specifically the thing carrying that A-bomb. They uh-huh. re-show that scene, but this time Reed Richards says, thank God it was one of those so-called clean bombs oh <laughs> so which they is, even poke fun at it yeah yeah so apparently in, in the interim they became aware of how dumb that was so i thought that was funny just uh i would read one issue of submariner and it directly contradicted two things that we said in this episode i don't think it contradicts i mean i still think it's funny. or, or it's I based it on ad- something. additive yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it's good the, the submariner comic's not bad um it's uh it's what my man the mormon gill was telling us yeah oh right right yeah yeah, Roy Thomas is writing, which means that it's just fine. But uh, John Buscema is doing the art, and it's, it's good. I love how much of a, a beef you have with Roy Thomas going yeah, in, this, I, in this club. It's actually kind of delightful. At best, he has become tolerable. I to think, me, you, know what's, like, you know what I, I'm almost like upset by is I'm not a huge Roy Thomas fan, so... Mm-hmm. Like, if you came down harder on, like, Steranko or Kirby, maybe Kirby mm. would be, like, more. I'd be, like, I'd have more of a defense ready, I think. Yeah, sure. But with Thomas, I'm in a, I'm in a somewhat similar position, and I think, like, we're seeing the club come around, where definitely a lot of my, a lot of the Avengers, like, credit that I give to him is mm-hmm. partially because, like, there's clear additions throughout his run. We've seen Vision, Ultron. We're going to see the Kree Scroll War here in the 70s. Um, but it's also like I know it's I know it's important more than I know it's good. If if yeah. that makes sense, and I think that's sure. something that there's a balance when you're reading these things so many years later of of valuing and crediting things that have stuck and are important, but the experience of reading them maybe doesn't hold up the same way. I don't know. It I yeah. So Roy Thomas, if you ever listen to my marvelous year, let's uh come oh, on, yeah, come on and defend yourself <laughs> against Zach because he's coming for you. Yeah, yeah. It's so all right. Gauntlet. I don't, I don't think towards. I don't the think it's legend. terrible. I'm just like it. At first, I really hated everything he was writing when he first showed up, and now it's like he's real middle of the road, inoffensive writing, but nothing that I don't know, no, nothing breathtaking. He is churning um, out a lot in the seventies yes, too. Yes, he's I doing. Do he is doing a lot. Like he's all over the place. I keep seeing his name everywhere. Like Stan backs off, and Roy picks mm-hmm. up a ton. 
And I, I think there yeah. is something to be said there for it's difficult <laughs> to write so yeah. many titles. Yeah. yeah, this episode's already getting long, but we I have been hearing a lot about like the history of Marvel Comics at this time and how overworked all of them were. Like all the creative teams just stretch so thin at this point. So I could contribute. Um all right, let's move into let's just do Thor 175 through 177. We can do this as one big chunk, probably. Yeah, and I think the overarching thing here to pay attention to is this is the last Stanley and Jack Kirby Thor story we're gonna read mm-hmm. before, you know, we've talked a little already, I think, about this is Kirby's last year with Marvel. Now we're gonna talk about his last Fantastic Four story, which I think in my head certainly I expected more of a momentous, like, oh, the end of Kirby on Fantastic Four. I gotta say, yeah. Over the last, let's I'm going to say going back to 67, mm-hmm. Thor, like Lee and Kirby on Thor is better than Lee and Kirby on Fantastic Four yeah, for my I think money. So too. And it's kind I actually find them wrapping Thor more disappointing because they're still like throwing 99 miles an hour. Like they, they're mm-hmm. doing really cool stuff. And this story in particular is one of my favorites. I really love this one. Yeah, it, it's good. I Maybe I don't like it quite as much as you, but um, you, you know what it is? It's like if this showed up in 1965 or 66, mm-hmm. I think I would have been blown away. But in 1970, it feels a little, uh, it like, it kind of feels old fashioned compared to some of the other stuff. I feel like everyone else is like moving forward in style and Stan and Jack are, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I can't criticize it. It's no worse than, worse or better than anything he's been doing. Mm-hmm. But it's just, uh, yeah, it was funny. This is the last thing we read in the 1970 list for this week. And it felt very different from everything else we've read. It just felt a little, I, I think the biggest thing is his panel layouts. He's still very structured into square panels. Yeah. Everything is into like boxed panels. Sometimes, you know, the six panels or four small panels and one wide panel at the bottom. And that, that feels, that is increasingly feeling old fashioned compared to what we're seeing. I think, I think you're right. And I think that's definitely something people felt. I wonder how much of it has to do with the fact that Jack Kirby is the artist who defined the Silver Age. So for him to then produce comics in the encroaching Bronze Age, they're inherently going to feel like Silver Age comics. Yeah. Because that is his, like, it's still him. And I, I guess I don't know that I'm equipped to totally go in deep on Kirby art, but his style doesn't really change it still looks like the the same kind of art so i think like he doesn't necessarily progress with the times i think he gets better across marvel silver age anyway we don't need to do a whole i think we've talked about it a little already but let's get into the story because yeah. um, we can talk about this maybe more in some variant cover stuff so this is this is an asgard story with loki plotting against odin to steal the um i guess the the title of the title of king of asgard i don't know what it is but yeah, he's gonna uh, take o- the king belt from odin yep yeah, it, which is actually, it's the King Ring from Odin. and Odin It is, is actually his, an accessory. Yeah, that's not yeah. a joke. <laughs> o- Odin is in his Odin sleep, which is How like, much do you love the Odin sleep? It's happened a couple times, and it's always really funny. It's, yeah, it's, it's hilarious just, to me. He has to take a one He gets so one long tired, Zach. He gets so <laughs> tired. He can't hold it off. I, I think it's kind of fun, though, because it does give Odin, like, one bit of uh, fallibility, mm-hmm. right? So, like, once a year, he needs to sleep. He needs to... I, I like that it's not just he needs to go to sleep. He needs the Odin sleep. Everything gets like the Odin prefix. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while he's sleeping, Loki I, uh, Loki sneaks in and steals the ring from Odin off of his finger, I think. Yeah. And Odin, uh, Loki looks great. His helmet just looks super cool. And yeah. the way that they're drawing him, he's one of the few characters who's got a really distinct, like, evil villain face. He's got this really wide face and this, I don't know, he, they always draw him with big teeth <laughs> somehow. Like I think he looks more like Waluigi 
in this final panel yes, that he's ever looked yes, before. That's a and really I love it. Good, that's it's good, it's yeah. wonderful. Like the big final splash page uh, of Kirby art on him. First off, it's mm-hmm. really cool. Just like facial drawing, just like the detail and the lines and everything he's got on, of course, some wild headgear, not even the oh, typical yeah. Loki wild headgear. Like a yeah, new, his new hat. crown is good. Yeah, new fun crown and uh and this indomitable pinky that asserts <laughs> so, his uh his will over everyone in Asgard. And Thor's like, Oh, he's got the pink ring. I can't. Well I Thor can't do shows anything. up and is like, Loki, you, you know, step down, you don't belong up there, you're not in charge of anyone, and then mm-hmm. he's like, Look at this though, I got the ring. And everyone's like, Oh, yeah. he's got the ring. Yeah. I mean, I guess we gotta listen to him now, which is the most wild, like Asgard, oh, all Asgardians are such sticklers for the rules. You know, it's just like Odin's walking down the street playing with his ring and he drops <laughs> it into a baby carriage. The baby picks it up mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, wow. I mean, that baby's king now. There's nothing we can do about it. The baby's yeah. king. I, it's, I'm sorry. Like, Because the, the ring the doesn't even king seem baby. to be imbued with any particular powers. No, as no, far it's as not. I can tell. Exactly. It's, it's, it's like not totally like the honor power. system. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is I'm, pretty wild. I'm just, I'm also, I'm a little mad at you that you just skimmed over King Baby. I was, I thought You're that saving was, that one up. You're working on that one. <laughs> no, I just like, King Baby came to me as an idea that Odin would drop his ring into a baby carriage. I thought that was very funny and you didn't seem impressed. I thought, whatever, <laughs> we'll just go on. <laughs> Um, I, was, I was pretty hung up on that ring. Uh, so this is kind of the, uh, this maybe doesn't need to be stretched over three issues because it's kind of Loki, Loki orders that Thor and the other, like the Warriors three and I think Sif all ordered into prison. He imprisoned they, Sif like immediately. Yeah. And they, they rebel to varying degrees. I like uh, Balder is not in jail yet and he comes and shows up to break them out of jail mm-hmm. and declares himself an outlaw, which... I like. It's like, hell yeah, Balder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. The Warriors 3 do get a pretty nice. So they actually like Thor gets in prison before them. And then the mm-hmm, Warriors right. 3 get a nice rebellion battle prior to this, which leads to Volstag. He takes out some lackeys, some Loki lackeys. But yeah. then there's a really good moment of him running away from battle, telling Hogan and Fandral, I'll guard the rear. Don't worry. You know, it's a classic, like mm-hmm. sort of cowardly, but also just funny moment for Volstagg. But yeah, they all wind up in prison. Balder comes to their rescue. All of this, uh, broadly, I would say, I love Loki on the throne stories. This mm-hmm. is one of my yeah. favorite Asgardian like plots that they can have. Um, I actually always think of Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I don't know if you ever played that video game. It's one of like, mm-hmm. my all-time yep. favorites. Uh, but that there's a subplot in there of Loki taking over Asgard, and I have a ton of affection for it as a result. Um, but yeah, this is basically then everyone, Balder and the, the rebels now of Asgard trying to get Loki off this throne. But who should show up while they're while they're plotting to take down Loki? But Searcher, the fire demon of Muspelheim. I don't know if we get Muspelheim yet, but uh, but but. because Odin's power is essentially Mm -hmm. distracted and the ring, I think maybe this is where the ring comes into play. I think it's just that Odin's asleep. Odin is still sleeping because... But I don't think it's every time he goes to sleep because he's been asleep before. Yeah. I don't you know, know. It, it, it's it, it is that Odin is out of uh, Odin's out of play not keeping Searcher they, in his fire pit, right? Yeah, and, and Odin they find later stuffed in the funniest capsule, <laughs> like it's this little capsule coffin, and it looks just big enough to hold him. Which yeah, I think is, it, it, he's really cute. He's just like the capsule is just jammed into the ground. And it's almost like a Odin's sensory deprivation face. tank. Or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I would be very claustrophobic sleeping in that. But um, but yeah, with the spell distracted, it allows Surtur to break out and head on straight for Asgard. Loki, as the new king and defender of Asgard, immediately panics and wants nothing to do with this. And wants <laughs> He's to just worried himself. about his own skin. Yeah, yeah. And, and disappears to Earth with one of his advisors, yes. leaving the rest of the Asgardians to uh, fend for themselves. That's right. 
That's right. And and then, I mean, uh, I, th- I think actually this becomes the most boring part for me because it just turns into searcher. Searcher or Surter? I do Surter. Suture? Suture. Sriracha? Uh, sur- <laughs> no. Uh, shows up and, you know, it's kind of, he's unstoppable. He's way, way, way too strong for the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Who throws a planet at him? Someone throws, like, a small little planetoid at Surter. And uh, I'm, I'm getting more absurd with this. Uh, someone, like, throws, you know, like, Sephiroth summing down a comet, hits uh, Surter. That's what you got, he, you know? He just shrugs it off. I don't remember who does that, which, you know, you think I would remember who's calling down comets. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, he's kind of unstoppable, and everyone is ready to lay down their life to defend Asgard, and they get Odin back up, and Odin, like, immediately drives him back underground. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's kind of, I don't remember how he, does he take care of Loki? Does he get the ring back from Loki? Is, is the ring, I don't, I don't know if they actually clear up, like, where the ring goes. I don't think Loki gets punished. Which is important, sure because everyone puts a lot of credence in who's wearing that ring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like the thing is like once Odin's around, he can just do anything at this point. Like he mm-hmm. is truly omnipotent. They they will they do sort of walk that back. You know, I'm thinking of like like in 2019, I'm reading War of the Realms, and Odin is nowhere near the the cosmic force necessarily mm-hmm. that yeah. he is here. You know, there's degrees of it, but um, but definitely right now, it's like if Odin's in the game, nobody else has a chance, which is kind of interesting. Um, they, because they, they, they do ha- play why they have to put him to sleep. Some of the um, some of the other Thor stuff happening this year has a lot to do with galactus we've talked about some of it but there's a running thread of that odin is at least concerned about galactus because they are you know their power level or <laughs> their power levels are similar well and i think at this uh, point I, too like the marvel cosmic landscape is is confined to the beings and races that they put in space mm-hmm. and the sets of gods that they have are the asgardians and olympus essentially and mm-hmm. nobody cares about olympus so odin is basically god you know like in the, yeah. the judo christian sense um so judeo in the judo christian sense let me no that's what i meant <laughs> i meant specifically the religion or the very Dave, dave's new sect of religious martial arts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, evangelical karate that's right <laughs> evangelical karate <laughs> <laughs> all right something good came out of this um yeah so so you know it's like he's he's god and that's a big deal because we don't have a whole swath of gods and cosmic entities and all that that that's coming here in the 70s but we're not there yet but anyway yeah. i love the story i think it's super fun yeah um, yeah it was good it's it's a shame to see the end on thor because is... they're they're still doing such great work together at least on this title everyone talks about the um like how impressive their fantastic four run is just the length of it right because they do 95 issues something like that right uh it's a hundred well i guess i i haven't accounted it goes to 102 or 103 yeah it's, a, it, it's it's around 100 that they do in fantastic plus four. annuals it's like, so yeah yeah it's some noteworthy i mean it, that's a it's an enormous amount of issues for a uh, a creative team but they did almost as many thor if you include journey into mystery leading into it yeah, Fantastic um, Four definitely starts hotter and I think yeah. peaks sooner. Um, mm-hmm. But Thor, I do think, like towards the the later end of the '60s, is the book that has a l- little more going on for it. I I do need to I do need to explore some of those later era Fantastic Fours a little bit more. Obviously, mm-hmm. we don't do as many in the list because there's some fun stuff in there. I don't know if you read the story about um, the Scroll Planet where they're all pretending to be mobsters. Did you read this one? Nope. <laughs> okay, it's like ninety or something um that one comes up a lot in reference to like classic scroll stories or things hmm. it's referenced in like black panther 40 years later but anyway gotcha okay um yeah so there yeah. we have
Cavett first part this of was 1970. Good. Yeah, I yeah. enjoyed reading these. I, I liked every one of them, yeah, mm-hmm. to, yeah. to varying degrees, but like no, none of these were uh, downers for me. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good start to the decade, which is yeah. very quickly going to get, I think, honestly, a lot more interesting because all of a sudden we sort of had our, we've had our like stable rotating cast of titles to this mm-hmm. point, like you can name, you know, it's like 15 titles max by the time you get to like 68. Um, I think but 12. Once, I think 12 was the... Uh... The, the number that the editorial team like well i'm throwing in like million we're not the editorial team, the publisher. not brand Eck. oh yeah i guess the stuff that we're not the weirdos yeah yeah um but but anyway by the time we get to mm. like 75 it's gonna be an explosion of characters and ideas and concepts and like they're really we'll talk about it as we go but like it really becomes this what do you do when you've built a universe and you have 10 years of stories how do you expand it in ways that are interesting and you're not yeah. you're not telling the same story over and over again um yeah. the 70s are like the true trial period for that and some of it absolutely takes off and some of it totally falls on its face oh there's um, some weird stuff yeah and it gets weird <laughs> absolutely which i think kind of leads into our poll of, yeah yeah that's a good good segue for the year yeah so well this will be up on our patreon page uh if you're a patreon supporter first off thank you for your support of my marvelous year but you can go there and vote and we'll talk about this poll in the 1970 variant cover issue we're going to do and the poll for this year is what are you most looking forward to in the marvel comics of 1970 why, why don't i read off the the choices and you explain what they are because some of these i don't have context for i don't really know what we're looking forward to or uh yeah so you I'll, I'll let you know the the category and you tell me what these are perfect so horror comics horror comics the bronze age marvel in the 70s is going to explode with titles like werewolf by night tomb of dracula i would throw even like adventures into fear in there a lot of vampires hmm. as well and we're going to be reading a fair amount of that we're actually going to be reading more of that than i did initially in the um in the 2016 version of this club i remember tomb of dracula yeah, but I'm I'm increasingly more interested in these because they have this like this is what the era was and it was a big deal to bring monster comics back. Um and it was a craze. So are you looking forward to Jack Russell, Werewolf by Night <laughs> and and Friends? <laughs> Wait, his name's Jack Russell? No way. I believe so. That's very funny. Uh okay, so Gerber comics. So this was kinda I think the way I explained it to you was Marvel. Oh, gets I, I, weird. I, I wish for sure thought you were gonna make a baby food joke thought you were pausing to like get a baby food joke ready no 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 just taking a sip sip of tea um no steve gerber is a writer who again think of this as the gets weird section of the list um man thing howard the duck his time writing the defender marvel's gonna get silly and strange and and do some good satire and if you're looking forward to that it's probably because you have some familiarity, <laughs> you know, with the author himself. <laughs> um, but it's it's some of like I think Manthing in particular is one that like totally blew me away when we did the club the first time. I just I couldn't believe how good it was. Uh, so anyway, that's that's I, I read. Two. I mean, I read through all the seventies uh, in the My Marvelous Year Club. I don't remember any Howard the Duck or Manthing or Defender Defenders. I honestly <laughs> would have said like, no, I don't think I've read any of those comics. So they didn't leave much. Of so we definitely did Howard. I'm sure I didn't leave him off. No, I'm sure we did. We didn't do like, as I've much seen them on the list. Those will be added, and defenders were not really available in MU at the time, so mm, that'll okay. that'll change this go round. Uh, okay, so we've got Jim Starlin, Cosmic Comics. Jim Starlin is the Godfather of Marvel Cosmic, um, and he's going to debut characters you may have heard of, like 
Adam Warlock, Pip the Troll. He's going to reinvent Captain Marvel, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, and a little friend of mine called Thanos. So if you're looking forward to all of that, plus cosmic entities, pick Starlin's Cosmic. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've read some of the, the Thanos stuff. Real good. Martial arts comics. Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Danny Rand, The Iron Fist. Sort of Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Yeah, I mean, he, he mostly punches. Yeah, it's more tapping it into might... the black exploitation era craze. Um, but we're we're throwing him in there as well. Sort of street level kung fu hand to hand action. That's a big mm-hmm. craze during this time. Um, if you're looking forward to those comics, that's your pick. Uh, debut of '90s fave. So okay. Punisher, Ghost Rider, Blade. Yeah, uh, and Wolverine actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, sure. He would fit in there as well. Uh, no, let's take him out of there. I'm just gonna clip that whole thing out because I, I don't, don't want to taint because I don't want to taint the poll. Because I think I, I get like anything that has a whiff of the over X-Men. Thanos over Howard the Duck. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people are like, oh, I'm just drooling for Thanos. But Wolverine, like people are like, that's the whole reason I'm reading this is to get to Wolverine. Here's the thing I can tell you for sure. Post Infinity War, there are people drooling over Thanos. <laughs> All right. Uh, and finally, the return of Jack Kirby, because he's about to leave Marvel, but then he's about to come back. Yeah, we're already gearing up for the return in 1977. He's going to do some Marvel bicentennial work. I guess it must be 76 then. Um, and I guess it's not Marvel's bicentennial. Nope. But <laughs> <It's just America. laughs> That's happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On Captain America. Captain America, Devil Dinosaur, The Eternals. And Cap. What's that? Cap? Who's Cap? Cap, K-A-P. Oh, I don't know what that is. Kid Cap? M- Moon Boy? No, Cap. Captain forget, America. No, no, I know, but don't forget Moon Boy. Moon Boy's with Devil Dinosaur. Yeah, but don't forget about him. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I remember thinking Devil Dinosaur is like the stupidest thing ever, but maybe I just need to like really separate it from the Marvel Universe. Oh, he does. Kirby does a Black Panther as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we're getting, uh, I mean, the Eternals are getting a movie pretty soon in the MCU, so it'll be kind of interesting to check that out. Yeah. Uh, so cool. Let us know what you are looking forward to the most. And before uh, you, you scream at your headphones, there's one or two big ones that we are intentionally leaving out of the poll because they would run away win the the crown and we want it to be a contest. Who? Oh, what do you mean? Uh, we are coming up on the true origins of Star-Lord, little known Little known fact, we're going to get the mm. true Star-Lord here in the <laughs> oh, 70s. Oh, you, you kept Star-Lord? You thought people were going to be too excited about Star-Lord? He's a big deal. Is he? No, I I'm know. kidding. I... It's the X-Men. It's the X-Men. That we're okay. Won. And we're not going to throw them in this. Oh, I don't care about the X-Men. Boring. This, yeah, is, no, this would be your hottest take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh yeah no we, we when we talked about this it was clear that like we can do this but we can't include the chris claremont thing because then there's no actual poll no one would argue over it and there'd be no <laughs> decision to make because the x-men and everything chris claremont i mean We're alpha looking flight forward to comes it. in this year so like alpha flight comes in right at the end of the decade and that's the thing i'm most looking forward to i got to uh I got a copy here of a ROM Space Knight issue with some alpha flight action <laughs> Terrible. i almost immediately sent you a picture but uh yeah yeah. Oh God. I would. I would kill. Like, if uh, if Alpha Flight ever shows up in the MCU, man, so, they really should. Let's talk about this. <laughs> I mean, once the X Men are in, I you should write a question in for the next variant cover. How do? How would you guys fit Alpha Flight into the MCU? And we can talk about it instead of the X Men. I would Stage prefer Alpha Flight. <laughs> To the X Men at this point. <laughs> your, your Alpha Flight's better than X Men opinion is is definitely the best thing this. No, you know what? So it's far. just like I've already seen X Men on screen. I just I want to see Pip, not Pip. Um, what's I want to see Pip. You want oh, to see Pip. Puck? Puck. 
Fuck yes. All right. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, I mean, it's too bad that this isn't, uh, that, uh, you know, this isn't going to happen 30 years ago when Danny DeVito could have been the perfect puck. That would have been, that would have been shocking puck. Yeah, I don't know who the, who's the, like, young enough, tough guy, <laughs> short guy. Like, it's definitely going to be like Inklage, but that's not a fit for the role. I don't even think, he's not, he's like five foot tall, right? He's kind of like the small little burly guy. Yeah, right. DeVito's yeah. probably yeah, yeah. a better comp. Yeah. DeVito's like the perfect, perfect, yeah. Except yeah, DeVito is like now. strangely kind of hairless. Have you ever seen him nude? <laughs> Many times. Many times. And I was surprised every time. Yeah. They, they, they do have that It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia Christmas special. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Where he wants to hide in a couch. And so they grease him up and like slide him nude into a leather couch. <laughs> in the image of Danny DeVito like shine, shimmering with oil sliding out of a couch in the middle of a Christmas party. <laughs> Buck naked is... Well, it's one of my favorite images. Yep. No, that's your fame. Famously, that is one of your top three. It's an amazing images. moment. <laughs> uh, okay, so thank you for listening to 1970 Part One. If you want to get your feedback in for the variant cover for 1970, please do by June 25th. Um, if you want to support the show, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. We really appreciate all the help we've been getting and uh, any uh, reviews on iTunes. I check that. Uh, once or twice a week and love reading a new review. It's really exciting to see that. Um, we've got a bunch of great backer benefits over at Patreon, so you can check that out, including the Extra Issues newsletter, access to the Slack channel, where we've been... <laughs> the the Slack... Uh, lately, the Slack channel has been doing a collaborative playlist of music that we all listen to, where we're like adding awesome. a, a song a day. It's really good. It's really like, fun. I, I, I've been putting it on shuffle every day and I've discovered a bunch of new music and it's, yeah, I'm, yeah, fine. I'm genuinely finding stuff, which is, which is really what I love. Oh, for. I hated your, uh, cannibal song today though. Of course you did. Of <laughs> I course you like did. It. Yeah, I threw on an I Eat Cannibals, uh, from the Doom Patrol soundtrack, which is a great song. Oh, is that where that's from? But I particularly like it because it's off. I can Patrol. see it, like working well with a, like a TV scene in the background. I could totally yes. see that being like good, uh, good mood setting or like, <laughs> you didn't need setting. all four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it went a little long and it was like the same line over and over again. Yeah. What was well, the other song you put on? To this, be this fair, you chose a track off A Night at the Opera, which always grates on me. I gotta say, I'm not a Night at the Opera guy. Queen? Oh, album. that Queen song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That song's fine. Oh, I love the song. Yeah, fine. I like that song. Um, but that album, it always disappoints me because you would think like Queen is such a great greatest hits band, but whenever mm-hmm. I go to their albums, it's just always so disappointing. Um, that that was like, the opera is supposed to be good. Yeah, I mean that that album's like Bohemian Rhapsody and Death on Two Legs for me. I think that's yeah. It's like the good oh, stuff's it, great, but and Sunday Afternoon, I like that song. I think that's called. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. They they never. I don't know. If, oh God, I don't want to actually put this out because I don't know. I was gonna say they don't have any perfect albums, but I don't know if that's true. Um. What was the other song you put down? Because you put Vampire Weekend. Uh, I did a Solange. A Solange, that's right. That was song it. today. Yeah, yeah. That that I was like, oh, who put this on? And then I was surprised that it was you because it's like such a cultured taste <laughs> of a cultured pick. <laughs> yeah, Shit. no, it's uh, yeah, no, it's, I'm not really. She, you got, you've got like, yeah, she's awesome. God, both both of her albums are so good. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's super fun. Slack channel is awesome. Check out. Yeah, this, I mean, this is not all staying in there. <laughs> Was, no, we need like to people. we need to hype this playlist because this is how we're going to get people in. Um, yeah, if you if you want to uh, find more about our theme music, you can uh, go to Bandcamp and look for Disaster Peace. It's Disaster. You, uh, that's Disaster Peace. Dis A S T E R P E Ace. I, d- that, I don't that, know if that worked. I'll have to do. I, I'll have I to listen back. I stumbled way too hard through that joke. I appreciate that you tried though. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Cool, yeah, you can find more of my stuff at comicbookherald.com. You can find all the reading lists for the My Marvelous Year Club, no matter where you are on the journey. If you go to mymarvelousyear.com, it will take you to a page on CBH, and you can navigate your way from there. And, of course, you can always see what else is going on in terms of comic book coverage um, and, you know, find every new episode there. But in the meantime, you can find reading lists. Again, you can find them via the Comic Herald email, my site, or the Patreon. They're or all available. Or show notes. Show notes for the podcast mm, itself. Show notes, too. It's a good a lot one. of places. A lot of places you can find it. And finally, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you next year. See you next year. Thank you.